Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm April Justine from Designer Exotics. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in herpetoculture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events, as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on the podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 21 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. 21 episodes, and we're still here, and people still listen to us. I don't know what's wrong with them, April. But, uh, I don't either, but thank you. We appreciate it, that's for sure. <laughs> it was really cool, I, uh, and I'll talk more about the show, because I did, I did a show this past weekend, um, but it was cool being at the show and at the Herp Reptile Expo, and people actually telling me they listen to the podcast. That's weird. I was thinking about that sometime, I don't know, this past week. Because I go about my life and, you know, it's very like tunneled vision kind of. And when we're recording it, it's just us and, you know, our guest. And I don't really think that other people are watching it until people start commenting <laughs> and like leaving us messages or stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, other people hear me like talk. And sometimes I say really stupid stuff. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> but we appreciate you. Witnessing yeah, our stupidity, my stupidity at least. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a weird thing. I mean, I'm glad everybody listens, and I'm I'm honestly shocked. Like, uh, so I was at the show, and one of the other vendors, who's also a listener, uh, Jason Brumley, was talking, and he brought up the ball sack cats, and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Ryan has met those. Um, so Ryan Rumbley is our guest today. Say hi, Ryan. Hey. <laughs> and uh, he actually came over a couple weeks ago and saw all my collection and met the ball sack cats too. So fucking ball sack cats. <laughs> They're actually pretty cool. They yeah, can't be. They can't, I can't, no, I couldn't touch that. It's just you're rubbing his throat them. I didn't like them before I ever. That was, hers were the first ones I saw in person. And her calico one was just chilling on the windowsill. And I was like, I got to pet this thing. And I pet it. And I was like, oh, man, this thing's actually soft. I thought it was going to feel terrible. <laughs> and uh, I was like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. See, See we, talk, we were talking earlier, though. You actually like cats. See, I, in general, don't like cats. And so, yeah. and now you've made them even uglier. And I, and I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I, do I don't think it's cool. I mean. If I wanted to touch a ball sack, I can take care of that without having to own a cat. Oh my goodness! I guess maybe that's my my need. I I can't just do that. <laughs> well, you, you you need to touch ball sacks. That's what... Maybe I don't know. Maybe some weird subconscious thing. Something yeah. I don't know. <laughs> We're finding out stuff about April. This is this is getting interesting. <laughs> she has two of them. So. Hey, yeah, that's one good. for each hand. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that got off the rails. Anyways, so. uh yeah, so I want to go back to the show. So I, I did a, a reptile expo, which is like one of the first ones uh, since everything started opening back up. And it was it was busy, like really, really busy. And it was it was nice, though, just to see everybody. That's one thing. I, I didn't realize how much I missed the group of people that I do these shows with because the Herps shows, you've been to them, April. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a pretty close-knit group of people, and we see each other you know, almost monthly. Some of these people see each other monthly. They do every show. And it's been since the show in New Orleans back in what was it March or whatever since yep. since I saw everybody, uh, 
So it was fun. I, I sold lots of Samboas, which was great. Yeah. Because, because since like, I don't know, I think since the last show, did I, did I talk about having more babies since the last show? Yeah, you have two litters now, right? Yeah, I've got, you guys even more than that. No, I've got two litters. Um, and the, I've got two more coming. So it was nice. I sold, let's see, I think 16 snakes at, uh, at the expo. Sounds like a pretty successful show. Yeah. Sambo is so great, man. I, I love Sambo. I don't keep them anymore, but they're awesome snakes. They, they sell so well at shows. Well, and they sell well in general. Yes. They just, they're, and they're cool, man. I like, you know, people would come over and they'd be looking at my snakes, especially when I had tons and tons of colubrids. And they'd be like, what's in these racks? And I was like, oh, I got some Kenyan Sambos. And they'd be like, oh, cool. And I'd show them to them and they're like, wow, these are actually really awesome. And I was like, yeah, man, they're, they're sweet. I mean, people kind of brush them off to the side. And uh, I'm like, man, if you really look at these snakes, they're pretty sweet. Well, I think the problem is they're, they're so small. So I think a lot of keepers don't see them as – they see them more as a beginner snake for, like, kids, and they don't see them as, like, a one for adults because everybody's into retakes and ball pythons and – Dude, you know what's funny about that man is like, you know, because I've I've kept snakes a long time, and you know my thing is is bloods and short tails, obviously. And but I mean I love all snakes, but anytime, I mean I've had, you know, like when I had tons of colubrids and I had like all kinds of Asian rats, but then you'd I had like, you know, a couple random ball pythons, couple random corn snakes. I mean, man, people get so caught up on what's cool and. You know, I have a real snake because I have a retick and all that. I'm like, well, dude, I got a retick in the other room. But I also have corn snakes. I mean, people get too caught up in that kind of thing. And I don't know why everything is a popularity contest or like I'm, you know, my dick bigger than yours or whatnot. But, you know, I mean, reticks are cool. Corn snakes are cool. Kribos, April's beak snakes. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think more people just need to get into the snake or whatever reptile that you find interesting, not what everyone else tells you is interesting. Yeah, yeah man. If you like cow kings, sweet. I mean, I like blood pythons. I mean, it's my thing, but, you know. I, th- I think there's uh, there's snakes, like you said, corn snakes, zamboas. These get looked at as beginner snakes, and if someone's been in the hobby for, you know, five years, they, they don't think of those as snakes they should have in their collection. Whether they like them or not, they don't think of them as – Snakes that an experienced keeper should have, which, like, I own some corn snakes that I just recently got last year because I thought they were really cool. I got one that's a like a super salmon ghost. It's pink. It's a fucking pink snake. I think that's awesome looking. They're they're awesome, man. My uh, you know mine and April's friend Andy. I don't know if you're are you friends with Andy Thornton, James? No, I'm not. Okay, uh, he and his wife Nicole they live in Tennessee, and you know when I was going there because they kept a couple of snakes for me while I was gone. And that's when I stopped at April's to visit. And while I was picking up my stuff, he's like, hey, man, I got these two corn snakes. He's like, do you want them? I'm like, sure. And the one, I didn't even know what the hell it was. It's called like a champagne stripe or some shit like that. And he showed it to me. I was like, oh, this thing's awesome. And like the funny thing is that, you know, I hadn't had my short tails for a year. And, you know, yeah, I was excited to have my Borneos and everything back. But I just kept geeking out over these two corn snakes they gave me. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to breed them. Because I really don't know what the hell they are. You know, but I, I looked up a champagne striped snow or whatever it is, and I mean, all I know is like he's really cool looking, and it's whatever. 
And what's nice is like, that's, that's all you need to know. <laughs> you know, you don't, yeah, oh, yeah. just because you have an animal doesn't mean you got to go crazy with them. Well, one thing I liked is, you know, when I was, do, especially as breeding colubrids, um, is I'd be at a show and I would have a lot of cheaper corn snakes, like albinos and normals and ones for heads for tons of stuff. But, but what I'd see a lot is like kids would come by the table and it was so easy for me because, you know, the kids want to handle stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so easy for me to, I used to take, I had a really big albino motley male corn. He's a little over four foot, super chill, great snake. I didn't take him to shows to sell him. I would take him because I would hand him to kids when they wanted to hold a snake. And oh, Is cool. that why when you pulled the tub of mine, you were like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I have the albino motley. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because like he, he was a great snake. The kids would just like, because I was that kid. You know, I went to my first show. I think I was like eight or nine years old. And, you know, the kids want to hold the snake and pet the snake. And, you know, me being able to hold it, you know, because like a big corn snake to, you know, a kid or people that aren't necessarily used to snakes or, you know, haven't been around them much. I mean, that's a decent sized snake. Oh, yeah. For them. I mean, not to like a better, you know, a keeper that's used to a lot of stuff, you know, that's, that's not really a big snake. Well, that's why I always but say size, like size is relevant. People, you know, They'll see a full-grown corn snake and go, "That's a huge snake." And I'm thinking, "Man, I've got a six and a half foot boa constrictor in the room. That that would be enormous for them." And so again, we also oh, have to remember out, that. Yeah, I pull out one of my blood pythons, one of my adults, you know, non-snake friends that are over here. They're like, "That's the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life," you know, because like Ruby in particular is over like, twenty. She pounds. is big. <laughs> she is big. I mean, she's a big blood python, and. uh you know, and one thing that's cool about her, she's super, super laid back. And I can just hand her to somebody. I tell them how to hold her correctly. And um, she just kind of sits there and chills. And what do you do when you describe to someone how to hold a blood python? I told them to support as much of the body as they can. You know, try to uh, don't let them hang. You know, don't do the one handed thing, you know, because you know how that is, April. They hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's you can even like- make. Samboas, samboas, you've got to support them. You got to support their body. They don't, you know, bloods and samboas, all the, most of those terrestrial, terrestrial snakes don't like being up off the ground anyway. And, uh, so if, if you hold them and you're holding as much as their body and they feel supported, chill or not chill, most of the time they'll be like, okay, at least I know I'm safe and they won't freak out. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't, you know, bloods aren't a snake. You drape around your neck and do all that. They hate that. I mean, Ruby will kind of do it halfway, but since she's like a big blood, I can hold her entire body and like part of her neck and her head might go around my neck, but that's about as far as it goes. Like I don't walk around like, you know, a dude on South Beach with a <laughs> across his neck. Like, hey, check me out. Yeah, don't be that guy. Yeah. Well, and I don't, uh, Ruby, the funny thing about her in particular is she is a super, super chill blood, but like, if you take her outside at all, like she doesn't get mean, but like some snakes just get overstimulated. Yeah, they get super alert. Yeah, man. If you take her outside, she freaks out. Not like aggressive, but man, she just starts going all over the place and trying to hold a blood that is, that does not want to be held or starts freaking out. Like April can tell you. Because you have no real estate. You're holding a snake that's four to six foot long and super strong, and they start flipping out. We well, only have so much feet to hold on to. 
Yeah, and by flipping out, he's not exaggerating. They start flipping. (laughs) Yeah, they'll freak out and like you know, and that's at you. (laughs) Yeah, that is if you get you know if they get overstimulated. I mean, her. I mean, she doesn't bite or like pee all over the place because she's chill, but she does not like going outside. Yeah. So I I don't ever. She's one bull. I don't really take my adults outside, though, even for pictures. Just I don't either. Nah, you know, for the most part. Besides cleaning and just kind of some, you know, because I check on them every day and I'll pull the tub open and sometimes, you know, pet them a little bit or whatever, but I don't really like mess with my bloods a ton. Oh, yeah. You're talking about a species that likes to hide. It likes to stay covered and not be touched by anything. Well, there, I mean, one thing about the short tail complex is like, I mean, they are very intelligent snakes. I mean, some people that just, I guess, randomly keep them or look from, you know, like if they're a retic person and they're one of those retic people <laughs> where only their snakes exist and I'm the king of the world type, you know, they'll, you know, they'll talk down if they try to, I've seen it. Sometimes they'll come in, they'll try to come in the bloods and we're a very tight knit group. And most of us have kept them for a really long time. And like when you come in and trying to be King Dick and then you start bashing bloods, it's like, man, if you really just stop, and just thought for a minute and be like, okay, you know, just be, just be cool, man. And, you know, come in and be like, start, you know, keeping bloods and short tails, start paying attention to them. And you figure out all the little nuances of the, of the animals because blood pythons, they're actually very smart. They know the differences in their keepers. I'm sure there's a lot of snakes like that. It's just blood since that's what I keep is like, you know, they're very aware of their surroundings and like, you know, like April snakes, she can go in there and, and handle certain ones. will be totally fine. But if I go in there and I start messing around with hers, and they don't know me. Though there's some of them that will flip out. Mm-hmm. I have labeled as my, such. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have ones at my, in my house like that. If, like if you're scared, I mean, they'll, they'll like, you know, you have a, a bad, you could have a bad day, yeah. but if you're confident, even, even one that's kind of a jerk, you can get away with it at least for a little bit, you have a window. Like I have, I'm sure April has a few, but I have some that I have a window on. I can open their tub. I can pick them up. I can put them in a different tub to clean their cage and then put them back and knock it nailed. And like the putting back part is a little sketchy. Sometimes that, yeah. that, that window got shorter. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, most of mine now, um, mine and April's buddy, Frank, he's going to send me back a snake. I gave him a while ago that Minotola gave to me. I call her hate machine and she is the worst short tail I've ever had as far as being a bitch. Like this snake isn't like scared or nervous or whatever. It's like, she hates you. <laughs> He's bad. And Frank's like, Hey, do you want this snake back? And that's like, I guess. So he's, he's going to send her back I think next week or whatever. And I'm like, Oh yay. I, I bet I want to, is she, what is she? Is she a Borneo or a short? Yeah, what, what? yeah, she's a she's a Borneo. Um, like Ocelot really or something. Awesome. Like I'm thinking it's going to be like one of these high end Borneos. That's well, a total well, she, well, she comes. I mean, she's from Matt's Ocelot breedings. I would call her a Super Stripe because, like, one thing about her that's really neat is if she's you know she's got the the tri stripe thing going on in the back. She has an orange head, but then her sides. Or silver, and then there's like just black dots 
like rosettes. It, it, it's crazy looking. It's almost like Brazilian rainbow looking black dots on the side. And she's really awesome looking and really unique. It's just she is a bitch. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, I need to find a male that's really chill to breed to her at some point. Cause Balance it out. Yeah, well, yeah, because like that male you have is just incredible, but he is a dick. So mm-hmm. there is no way I would breed those two together. <laughs> that would be a nightmare clutch. And it's unfortunate how like crisp his pattern is and how like saturated his color is because he's a dick. <laughs> oh, he's amazing. Like that's, you know, like when I saw your snakes, especially your Borneos, but I feel your pain because like Borneos are impossible, impossible to get good picks up. It, yeah, any so orange. It just no, orange. Yeah. You know, it's it doesn't matter if you have a super nice camera unless you're doctoring the pics. Uh, where you can really show the orange head. It's so hard. And, you know, just like the, the different, the subtleties in Borneos. I mean, like that male you had, that you have, I can tell that he's nice in the pictures, but when I saw him in person, he's amazing. Like, he's real nice. His baby should be hatching in couple weeks i'm excited i have five did, did eggs you, left <laughs> did you get him from nick or nick produced him and you got him from someone else nick produced him and i got him if from sam sampson if you remember him i do yes yep. yeah they, he, so yeah because he has tbc blonde stripe in it yep okay yep. which he is awesome blonde you in have that because you know in the blood and short tail world, you see how it is like when, you know, certain breeders that put all this, see people take stuff for granted is like, you have folks like, you know, Keith and, you know, and that's gone anyway now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll stick with Keith. All right. So Keith has, you know, he had the tomato bomb and, you know, all these different lines of ghosts and everything else that he was working on. All right. Well, Keith got out. Well, now that stuff is super hard to find. I think it's that's like, even like with fade and latte at this point. Like oh, that's yeah, really underrated, and people don't know well, Keith what Brady it is. Got yeah, Keith Brady got out. So latte Borneos are super hard to, to find now. Pure ones, actual lattes. I I can pick lattes out pretty easy, but you still don't see them that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know Kay and Ryan aren't really breeding Borneos anymore you know and their tbc blondes are were absolutely amazing i mean they added so much i mean look at your mail i mean nick nick produced that from their borneos and that mail is out outstanding you know nick's not really you know nick has some borneos but he's not like you know he's mainly doing bloods mm-hmm. and then so what you're seeing a lot is like you know matt matt is the borneo guy and matt's you know making awesome borneos but those those are Matt that's Matt stuff. You know, so you see a lot of the Ocelot things and the stripes and the super stripes and then the marbles or whatever, but so a lot of the other looks that were so prevalent in Borneos and even in Bloods, if you take like, like if Matt stopped breeding Borneos, I guarantee you that a lot of that's a lot of his lines, like now you see it quite a bit. Like when people post like, okay, I got this stripe or super stripe or marble or whatever from Matt, but if Matt was gone in in like five years you would start losing a lot of these borneos like the looks or whatever they'd still be out there but they'd be in like random people's hands or they wouldn't be breeding them or they would be breeding them but they don't know what they have 
you know, because like tomato bombs, cherry bombs, red X, like these T pause lines, they're so hard to find. Yeah. And like be confident that, you know, that it came from that line. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, cherry bomb, John has some pure ones and produce some Tracy. The only one that I can think of. Well, Tracy has some, um, obviously, I'm like, I don't count Tracy. She has everything. <laughs> well, yeah, Tracy has everything. So, like, you know, uh, I have a cherry bomb outcross. Um, Kay, uh, Kara Norris, she has, you know, cherry bomb outcrosses. Uh, I think Minnetola has a cherry bomb female, and then he's got some outcrosses. Uh, most of the people that I know that have, like, cherry bomb that are, like, our core people, mm-hmm. most of them are an outcross. They're a, they have gorgeous animals. They're just not an, an actual pure cherry bottle. And tomato like when, bottle when, is possible to find. When you're thinking about any breeder, and this goes across any um, reptile species at all, you're going to have people that start with certain snakes, and then they make a look their own. And I think Matt is a very good example of that, because obviously his oh, stock came from somewhere. And what, that yeah. last litter you had was amazing. Right, and now you know when you see marbles now that have a certain look, you know that that came from Matt. But it started from, you know, other people's lines. And so what I think is just really neat, and and yes, some of those older lines get lost in a sense, but then some person is taking those and kind of making it their own and making a look their own, which I think is just really cool too. Well, that's one one good thing though. I mean – Part of what I was saying is, like, we're lucky that we have, you know, the people that we do. Like, Matt, you know, having the – like, I'm saying, like, if we didn't have Matt anymore, like, say he was gone, you would drastically see a drop-off in the marbles and all this other stuff because too many random keepers would just just throw shit together. Well, he's a huge huge chunk of that whole short-tail blood thing. I mean, Matt, that's – Oh yeah, yeah, dude, and he has and he has awesome reds too, because it's so easy to get focused on Matt's Borneos because that's his main thing, and they're incredible. But Matt has some really killer reds too. I mean, probably my best blood python is from Matt. I think Matt is an example of, so for anybody that's not paying attention, Matt Minatola is an example yeah. of what people should aim for if they want to get into the hobby and if if breeding is kind of their goal, if they want to. Matt picked a project and stuck to it and went his own direction. And that, and now that's what he's got. He's got, like you said, snakes that you can look at and go, yeah, those came from him. You can obviously tell they're from him. And I think people need to quit trying to get into a species because people tell them it's cool and that's the next big thing. Find the one you like. And if you like, I don't know, uh, corn snakes, if you like the blackest anery corn snakes, then just go out there and find the blackest anery corn snakes and work with them. You don't have to do the next big thing because everybody's saying that's the direction you should go. Well, it, everybody's in such a rush for some reason. And I mean, that's, that's not necessarily anything new. That's been around forever. As far as people want to be in a rush to breed their snakes or do this or do this. And it's like, you know, talking about, you know, how Matt did it, you know, that brings Kara to mind for me and, and Nick but, you know, like Kay's lines, like the Manic Panic and the Raspberry, and then she's got P.E. Stripe and all this other stuff. Like, I can look at her snakes and usually tell the pairing she did. 
Mm-hmm. Like sometimes she'll just, you know, like we'll be talking back and forth and she'll text me a picture and she'll be like, which clutch did that come out of? And I'll, and I'll tell her. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you know, like even uh, that guy, Justin, that's been posting a lot in our group. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when he was posting those uh, snakes he got from Kara, like I even asked her, I was like, is that whiplash times jewel? And she's like, yep. I was like, okay, I thought so. You know, they just have, they just have a look and it's, mm-hmm. uh, that's when they all like, cause even the reds, <clears throat> like that's one thing, James, you'll see a lot is like people come in the bloods will be new. And, you know, like, okay, Nick and I make a joke about just throw two red snakes together. Cause somebody said that before he was a King Dick retake guy. So, you know, it's a big deal. Bloodline is just throw two red snakes together. Oh fuck. Is that all you got to do? It's awesome. Wish I wish I knew that. Um, so <laughs> the, even with the red bloods, like there's so many looks in the red snakes. I mean, you have like matte red and burgundy and ox blood and all these different shades of red. So if you're really going for a certain look, like if you look at Kevin Martyr's stuff, Kevin's older line stuff has that eggplant purple sheen and it's like really, really dark, super red. And then Kevin has these redhead uh, line that he's been messing with when he started putting uh, Bonka animals that he got from Ryan and Kara. He started putting those into his old bloodline. Uh, and then those animals even have a look to them. Just like, you know, Kay's raspberry line is really deep, rich red. And the manic panic is very red, but also has like a burnt orange to it. Well, that's, I find in breeding, you can take two different people who take the exact same line, same gene, whatever. But there's something about that animal that each of them likes differently. You know, one likes more, like, say we're talking about something albino. One likes more of the red, one likes having more white. And then you give them 10 years of working with that project. And then the albinos that they're producing look nothing alike, even though they started with the exact same thing. Yeah. If you find the species that you're into, like, like you love those animals and you're doing something to where you're going for, you know, you you have certain ideas for what you want to do for, you know, a project, whether it's morphs or whether it's line breeding, you know, polygenic traits, you know, just go on that path. Cause I'm sure that both of you guys get these messages. I know April does for, for a fact and I know James you get them as well but people will ask me you know what should I do or this or that I'm like well what do you like yeah, like yeah. oh I like you know uh, ivory bloods or whatever I'm like well look around and see who's breeding what and who's working with what and find out who has, who's producing snakes that you like like you like that look <clears throat> Yeah, I used to get so much crap for liking T-negatives like I do. And you were one of them too, Ryan. <laughs> you used to give me crap about it. <laughs> and and now people are like, oh, I kind of see where, where they're going with this now. But it's because I just, I love them. And, and that's just what I decided to fully focus on. Do I love T-positive too? Yeah, sure. But I want to fully focus on T negative and bring out the best of that albino. Well, I, I think in the hobby, people need to more often just how try, try to find something that you like a lot, like your shit. Find that, focus on that, because most people can't afford to. Re- in whether it's time, money, you know, what have you, space, 
to have, you know, shit tons of snakes. Yeah. And I, I'll tell a lot of people, I was like, man, you don't want that anyway. At my height, I had over 400 snakes. I'm telling you, you don't want that unless that's your, your full time thing. Because yeah, it, I would work, I would it work my a ass job. Off. Yeah. I'd work my ass on to come home and take care of all these snakes. And like, I love them, but like, it was just, it was killing. So yeah, you had no downtime at all to even appreciate no. them. Cause all you're doing is cleaning up poop. No, because you have to go through all the animals and it's like, man, <clears throat> you know, and it's, you know, if you can just find what really makes you tick, what do you like? What do you want to mess with? And you know, like mine is now it's mostly bloods. And then I have a handful of Borneos. Um, like I don't have Curtis. I like Curtis. Um, you know, I love, you know, uh, seeing, friends Curtis and everything they're amazing uh, but that's another group that I have to mess with mm -hmm. and I would rather just you know that that's spots that I could put like an extra couple reds or an extra couple Borneos or, or whatnot in there well and, so I, and I think not only find the animals that you like but on the other end quit talking shit about the animals that somebody else likes and I say that as someone who talks shit about ball pythons all the time so ball pythons don't count everybody you can talk shit about them <laughs> right free. But, uh, but I, you know, like April, you said you like the T negatives, right? And, mm -hmm. and people will tell you, will give you shit for it because that's not their thing. Well, fine. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not your thing. You're not the one that has to keep them. Let them keep them. It doesn't hurt anything unless they're ball pythons. Then talk shit about them. But, and at the same time, when people were giving me that crap, I could have been like, oh, well, maybe T positive are better. I'll just get T positive yeah. instead. But I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> and, 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 and let me clarify. With ball pythons, the reason I I don't like ball pythons is not so much it's not so much the animal really, it was just it was the way that whole thing went in the mid two thousands to now like just how I don't know it it just rubbed me the wrong way watching how all that went and it was it's, so in your face and it got really annoying. It's still you know like with with ball pythons because I do like them. Um, I don't I don't I only how many do I have right now? I have two. And uh, they're just normal triple heads that I got from my buddy Ted Thompson. And, uh, you know, I like ball pythons. My friends Anya and, and Matt Littlefield that are local, you know, really, really good friends of mine. They mainly breed – they're Snake Eyes Exotics. They mainly breed ball pythons, but they breed Angolans. And, uh, you know, I've known Anya a long time. And, you know, she had yellowtail crebos at one point and other stuff. I mean, Anya likes, you know, other snakes. She's just laser-focused on her thing. And, you know, ball pythons and Angolans are it. She has, she did get some blood pythons from Tracy, um, wait, uh, I think like a year ago or so. But anyway, the thing with ball pythons is, is there's a lot of people that keep them that I like, that I think are really good people. They genuinely love the snakes. The ball people that I don't like that just like cram their snakes with food into oblivion. Like I will see, ball pythons with tiny heads with a fat ass body yeah. on like a handful of eggs. And they're like, Oh man, she's only two years old. I'm like, dude, you're killing that snake. I, I, yeah. Oh, see that person is so far removed from having a ball python as a pet. Cause that's no, a, it's, a, it's thing. Not a pet. Yeah. It's not a pet. It's a yeah. thing. And it sucks, man. Cause like, you know, ball pythons are, are not bad snakes. I mean, I kind of like the normals. That's my thing. I'm not a big morph person anyway, but you shouldn't you like know, normals. That's boring. No, I'm just kidding. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I like normals. I used to pick out like the golden, like ones that were kind of gold color. You know, back in the day when you go to a show and they had tubs full of like tons of oh, yeah. like I would sit there as a kid and pick through the the ones that were kind of gold color and then ones that were banded and you know, I just like them as a snake and they're, they're cool. But the problem is, like, if you go on Morphog any time, it's like thirteen thousand. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly it, don't know how they sell them at, at expos. Like, I don't know how anybody makes money at an expo just simply because, all right, you've got a banana. That guy's got a banana. Seven other tables in here have bananas. Dude, they're, I, I'm telling you just because I have, you know, I'll just use Matt and Anya as an example is, dude, they, <laughs> they just sell, man. They just sell this chick. She's a, a veterinarian. The first time she got a, a snake from them, I forgot what she bought, but it was a pretty high-end ball python. And then she came to the, uh, the Arlington show, and a lot of times I'll be behind the table with them just kind of hanging out. And she comes up and she buys like a pastel yellow belly pied and like a super pastel lesser clown or something. Like three Gs worth of like these. So she had three snakes, I think, in her and her son's collection, and like she had spent four grand on three of them. Damn. And those were their first three snakes. And I was thinking as a kid, like when I went to, you know, the Orlando show before Daytona back in like 1990, and I bought like a Florida King, a carpet python, a normal bow. I think I spent like on five snakes, I think I spent like 250 bucks or something. And then like, like their first snakes, it was like four grand. I was like, holy shit. Well, see, my first snake was my rainbow boa. And that's back when they were always $125. Everywhere yeah. you went, they were 120 but Now, now they're like 300 bucks. But I remember for like a decade, the, the price was always 125 no matter where you went. Well, dude, back in the day, I mean, Maclots pythons were like 75 bucks. Um, Indian pythons were still around um, before everybody started crossing them into berms and shit like that. Now you can't, you know, you find an Indian python, it's, you know, like a unicorn. Um, ring pythons were like $75. Uh all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now it's, it's crazy. I'm glad that a lot of this stuff's gotten more popular again. Like oh, yeah. I'm really glad to see a resurgence in that. That's where you're starting to see that. You're starting to see more people. Okay, look, I mean, I've talked about before, as we give ball Python shit, they are the reason our hobby is as big as it is. And we have all the stuff we have. They're a hundred percent the reason. And anyone yeah. out there that also dislikes ball pythons, you've got to at least like them for, I mean, if you own herpset thermosets and a rack, or whatever that shit, was powered by the ball python market. But I love now you're starting to see way more people. When you go to shows, you still got ball python tables everywhere, but you're seeing other stuff. You know? Yeah. And that's and, awesome. And, and most people I know that are uh, ball keepers, like bit by bit, they've been adding, you know, extra stuff like here and there. They, uh, you know, get into maybe bloods a little bit. Uh, Angolans. I wish white. Angolans were bigger. I'd love one of those. Man, they're really sweet. Yeah. Well, I, I need more people to get you into those. Big, yeah, you hold a big one. There, I mean, Matt and Anya have. I'd say they're two females, or at least six foot. And that that's pretty cool. Holding the yeah. big ass Angolan python, like I, they're the biggest ones that I remember seeing. I didn't um, even know they but got they have really thing. slow metabolism. They grow like a boa. Like really? they. Yeah, from what I've noticed. I mean, I don't have a ton of experience with them, but just what I've noticed is like 
I can kind of, you can kind of tell if someone's really trying to power feed those snakes because like they'll have like a tiny ass head and a really skinny neck and then you'll see this big fat uh, obese body. Well, they're just, they're a cool looking snake that doesn't need a morph. But I think that's also a reason why you don't see as many of them is because they don't have a morph. But just yeah, on their it, own, they're amazing. Oh yeah, they, they don't need anything. I mean, and it's, it's what's funny is like when I've heard some people talk about Angolans, I can tell that they haven't experienced them because they'll call them bumpy ball pythons or they'll call them ball python. Angolan pythons are nothing like a ball python. Like they're the way they are as a snake. That is a super confident snake and they're very inquisitive and they're, they're nothing like a ball python. They're more like a carpet python in my opinion. Personality yeah. wise. I think they look kind of like if you were to take a ball python and breed it to like a rough scale python. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get angle. That's what it reminds me of, 100%. Yeah. Look wise. I mean, anyway. but they're, they're very carpet like. Like, if you put them in a cage instead of a rack and, like, you can really watch what they're doing, I mean, they'll be moving around and looking around. And, you know, when you open their cage, one thing with Angolans, what I notice is, like, most of them won't bite if you just reach in there and pick them up. Just like with Morelia. Just reach in there and pick the thing up. And if you start pussyfooting around with whatever, it's going to nail you. Not yeah. all of them, but like, you know, the snake's like, what are you doing, dude? You know, just reach in there and pick it up. It's not that bad. I mean, you know, it's a six foot snake, so it's very most, it's going to suck a little bit, but it's not like a big <laughs> ass olive python or, you know, repick or something. Well, it's like with Sambo, is because they're one of those, you know, they're ground species and they're not used to being, you know, up high. When you go in to get them, the most I do is I let them know I'm there first so they don't freak out. But then you just you got to get them because they do that whole. Like y'all were talking about with the, yeah. um, the bloods, if you pick them up and you don't have them firmly, they start to flail. And once they start flailing, their next step is to bite because they assume that they're being eaten. Those and, little uh, things have sharp teeth, man. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they, don't, they don't feel good. <laughs> no. No, I got bit by an adult when I was like, ah. Like, I was not expecting that to hurt. I was like, it bit me, and I was like, ow, that actually sucked a little bit. And they're, and they're strong little snakes. I mean, they're little. Yeah. I, I love them. And it was funny. Whenever, I, whenever I'm at a show, I always compare them. People look at them. I think of uh, the Graboids from Trimmers. They remind me of the Graboids yeah. from Trimmers. And they remind me of the uh, Sand Snakes from Beetlejuice. Yeah. And I, and I had multiple people at the show this past weekend reference those before I even said it. And then I had one ad. Uh, you know the big worm thing from Men in Black, the one that lived in the sewer? Yeah. Yeah. They compared it to that, too. I'm like, yeah, kind of. Uh-huh. But they're, they're very much like they remind me of like, the things from trimmers, because if you ever feed a Samboa, they don't strike and eat like a normal, like what you would think of a normal snake. They slight, strike from the side, and they are lightning fast for what looks like a slow worm. But, I mean, you just oh, run, yeah. run the mouse across the top of the bedding, and they come shooting out and grab it. It's funny. Yeah, the, the funny thing was, like, if I kept them on Aspen or something, like, sometimes they would, like, grab, you know, grab the feeder, and yank it back into the hole they just created, and like just maybe the tail would be hanging out. Yeah, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. You know, I mainly feed frozen thawed, but I'm not going to lie, <laughs> sandboas are something I probably fed live to more than, uh, than any other snake, just because I kind of enjoyed watching that. And I'm not like sick or twisted about that. I don't really, you know, normally I just feed frozen thawed, no big deal. But I did think it was kind of cool throwing a mouse in there. <laughs> Just walking along the aspen, all of a sudden that sandbow explodes out of the aspen, and like I didn't even know the sandbow was there. Yeah, and it's, they're they're surprisingly fast. Like, cause you look at them, they look like you know, yeah, they're a fat worm. And I always tell people that 
they're they're a, they're a worm. I mean, I get that we call them snakes, but I they're a worm. They're super fast worms when they want to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy how the the sex, how sexually dimorphic they are. Because oh like, man, so small compared to the freaking females. It's like yeah, insane. breeding breeding season's hilarious. I oh mean, yeah, like are you sure you can handle that? That's, that's yeah, a big girl. And they, yeah, and they those little dudes get the job done. <laughs> what you do when you first throw them in there, you're like, uh, 75 gram male. <laughs> yeah. like, All right, let's see how this goes. That, uh, you know, man, like one thing I'll say, like, you know, since you said that, like with bloods and it, one thing is what we'll, we'll see some newer folks come in and like they'll, they'll, they'll throw information out sometimes. Like I've seen so many people talk about, Bloods being like they'll say something about them being sexual, sexually dimorphic, or that ma- someone like hey, are males smaller than females? People are like oh yeah, like they say it real quick, and I'm like whoa, hold the phone. No, <laughs> with bloods and short tails, not all males, but like yes, if you feed them less, like a lot of people do with males, yeah, they'll be smaller, but blood males can be just as big and a lot of times bigger than the female. Oh yeah. I mean, well, what that happens like how you feed them. I had, uh, I have bow constrictors also. And in the past I've had, uh, big several males. adults. I had, I had a six and a half foot male next to a six and a half, seven foot female. And I mean, he's huge. The problem is at that size, he doesn't give a shit about breeding at all. He would just sit in the corner and could care, couldn't care less if there was a female in around him. So he's now basically you, fat and lazy. Yeah, that's all it is. He, he, it's like his shit doesn't work once he reaches a certain size. But my male I have now lives in a V70 tub and is much smaller and is about, oh, four foot and eating like medium rats, a large rat on a rare, rare occasion, like once a month. But he mm-hmm. will breed nonstop and he's, and he's healthy. He's like, it's people always worry about underfeeding. I'm like, you got to realize in the wild, they're technically underfeeding for what we're doing. They're, they're eating way less, and they're way smaller, and they're fine. So yeah, I I think I think a lot of people like when they come and they don't, and they, if they don't want to listen, and they just kind of go off of like you know what they've heard from random people or what have you, or just because they come from keeping mammals or or what. But you know. It, I just, I hope that like podcasts and other stuff just like really educate more folks because like you don't need to feed the shit out of your snakes. You don't have to breed your snakes. No. And really, if you are going to breed them, I mean, have a plan, um, you know, have a goal. Don't just like breed just to breed. Well, and there's so many <laughs> things that people don't think about in breeding. Like, okay, so I had four female Samboas breed this year. If all of them have the amount of babies they should have, that's over a hundred babies. Yeah. That I've got to try and find a way to get rid of. Now I know I can sell them and I've got ways I can get rid of them, but the average person living in the middle of nowhere is like, oh yeah, oh. they have no idea. Yeah. They think it they just, no it just happens. It's, you can just get rid of them super easy. But I mean, that, yes, that, that's what they think, man. They, they just like, oh yeah, I've, you know, I'll have these and people will be kicking down my door. And like, first of all, nobody really knows you. So depending on what you have, people are, are not going to like, you know, say you don't know how to like ship or, you know, like you'll, yeah. you know, those ads you'll see on fauna 
or something, and it would be a pair of like really nice snakes, but it's been available for like three months. Yeah, and you're like, it's a bit like adults stuff that sells like real quick. And I'll I'll stick with bloods because usually if it's like a really nice red blood, like a female, whether it's a T positive, T negative, normal stripe, whatever. Usually, when you see a female like that pop up, which it almost never happens, it's almost always because somebody lives in New York, they have these snakes, they've raised for four years, five years, whatever, and now they got to sell them, but they don't know how to ship. Because you'll look and you're like, how in the hell is that? And it's always for a really good price, too. It'll be like a super nice T-Paws female, you know, big, impressive, ready to breed, whatever, for like 500 bucks. And you're like, holy shit. And you look like, I don't know how to ship. Uh, but can I well, teach you? <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and that's impossible. That's really hard. Yeah. I've tried to, with certain deals like that, even though I, I really don't like buying adults, unless it's from a friend. But uh, unless it's just a can't pass up kind of deal. But I, I've tried to walk some people through shipping, and it, it works for some, but others is just, they're just not, well, and it's not hard. I just think they don't want to put the effort in to learn how it's to also do it. A, it's also a scary process, it shipping. Is. You know, it and, is. and it, for someone who's never done it, it definitely does seem like it's overwhelming. I remember when I first got it, yeah. I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I could do this. And then once I started shipping, I was like, okay, now I, I, it's pretty, they've made it. Nowadays, it's really freaking easy. Uh, with companies like companies like Reptiles to You, who will send you you buy the kits from them, you put the snake in the send kit, it. and then I mean it's gone. So, I mean, and one thing that a lot of people like if you know if they stick around for a while and you know and this becomes part of their life and they just learn how to do stuff, man, it becomes so second nature. I mean, like shipping to me is just you know that's no thing. I've done it so many times, adults to babies. And then, like, even setting up egg boxes, mixing vermiculite, I don't, I don't weigh it anymore because I've done it so many times. I just do it by feel. Well, that was like I posted uh, a picture of my baby Sambo was on a group the other day, and one of the questions I get was, "Well, how big was the mom when you when you bred her?" I'm like, I have no clue. She was breeding yeah. size. Like, I don't, I don't weigh anything anymore. I, I can look at a Sambo and go, "That can have babies," or "That can mm-hmm. have babies." You know, unfortunately, man, I when they started, you know, years ago, it's probably been, what, 15 years ago or so now, maybe even longer when, I don't know if it was the Barkers or what, when they're talking about weights and females and whatnot for breeding, it's like people saw that weight thing and totally went for that instead of years. Age, yeah, that was that was a huge issue. Now, because for a long time... Evolved- Pythons get like stuffed with food because they want to hit this certain weight. Well, so they, they breed them. They breed them in two years. It's insane. Mm-hmm. They do that to like you see that in hognose snakes. I'm sure you see that in other colubrids. Um, you know, Antaresia. You know, I think females about 300 grams, 250 grams or so. You don't really see that here, though, because like most people that keep Antaresia, you know, you just keep them because they're cool. And mm-hmm. like, what's the rush to produce a clutch of spotted pythons? I mean, it's you know, yeah, you'll probably sell them quick just because you don't see them much anymore. But still, I mean, you're not like breaking the bank, you know, selling a you know a clutch of spotted pythons. Well, so mainly I- just like the ball people and some of the other ones. Not all. I'm just saying. Unfortunately, with ball pythons, they also have the biggest fan base though too. Yeah. 
So you're going to see that more often just because there's just so many people that do it. I mean, I know plenty of people that don't, but I never bred a ball python female younger than three. Well, when I got I into boas and my rainbow boas, it was it was age, not weight. It was, you know, three to four yeah. years for the female, two years for the male. It wasn't so much, all right, I got to get them up to this many pounds and then. Yeah, even with short tails, for me, years comes first. Like how old yeah. they are comes first and then, you know, their their body. And it's not like you can have a six-foot blood python that's skinny but still has the weight that whoever, you know, said was the weight that it needed to be. Or a shorter one that, you know, actually has a better body composition for having eggs and, you know, maybe doesn't weigh the weight that's some standard weight. So it's more or less, you know, their body composition. And if they're at that peak breeding size rather than a breeding weight, because that's just, that's just not realistic for sure. Right. And, and like, and, and if you look at the nuances even between the species, okay, like a blood python, if you have a blood python that's too fat, you're probably going to get slugs. But Borneos, and we know because Tim Mead, <laughs> he had Borneos that were like telephone fat. Massive. Oh my God. Like huge, just fat Borneos. And he would get massive clutches out of them. Healthy, massive clutches. I mean, the snakes weren't healthy themselves. I'm sure if you cut them open, it'd be like cutting open a ban- uh you know, can of biscuits. But, uh, you know, if you did that with a blood and it wasn't dead, uh, you probably wouldn't get a clutch. It'd probably be all slugs if she even, you know, you can't do that. I see. I think that's the problem with, with like, the people that go to a show and they buy six ball pythons. The first thing they've ever owned, they buy six baby ball pythons and then they're like, I buy them to breed and in two years they've got them ready to breed. Well, they have, they've never really owned a pet. They don't know what it's like or what it should look like or how it acts. They only know what it was like to power feed these things for two years. Or on the other end, someone goes out and buys a pair of adults, breeding size adults. And they're like, all right, I'm going to start breeding. They don't know what it's like to raise up these animals. Dude, there is actually a, a graph I saw, I think, on Morph Market for feeding ball pythons. And it said, like, if you're... It, and I had the graph that said, if you're feeding, if you're feeding to breed them, you feed babies every three to five days. Jesus and then Christ. it said, if you're just keeping as a pet, like once a week. And there I shouldn't like, be a difference. There should not be a difference. Fuck? Yeah, that, that's exactly what I said to myself. I was like, what the fuck is the difference? Like, okay, so if you want to breed this snake faster and to try to make money and, and pound it to death with food, and kill it. So, and, you're, so you're saying, like, I would not feed any python species that much. That's that's insane. The like boas and all that. I mean, my like, sambo was this last litter. I fed every five days only because I knew I had a show coming and I wanted to get them ready. But that's oh, the, yeah. that's that that is the most. Now they are back down to seven. That's the most I've ever fed stuff. The fastest I've ever fed stuff. And I'm still like, oh man, this is really quick. Well, and, and and adjust accordingly. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, sometimes you can feed every. You know, maybe feed like that, but then, you know, kick it back a little bit. You know, I don't know if April gets these questions, but like every now and then I've had people come to me for like a cookie cutter, you know, example of how to feed boards or short tails. Yep. And I give them a ballpark, but I try to tell these folks is like, now look, I have a lot of these snakes and none of them are the same. Some snakes 
processed calories different. Exactly. I have some of mm-hmm. ones I could probably feed a jumbo rat to every week and they'd be fine and not get fat. I have Borneos that if I fed a jumbo rat every other week, they would blow up like a house. And it's just each snake is different. So I just pay attention to it. Um, normally what I do until they're about three years old, I feed them once a week. Then when they get into the adult years, three and up, for me anyway, is that's when I start backing them off depending on the animal. But when I breed snakes, I started doing it when I bred boas, is I would cycle feed. You know, yeah. like they would have a, I wouldn't feed them really in the wintertime at all. And then like, you know, I would just like start ramping it up. And then before breeding season, like the month before I started pairing my snakes, the females anyway, is I would start feeding them every week. And then I would knock it off and just taper off. And I used to do that with boas. So I started doing that with short tails. And well, and you talk about everybody wanting a cookie cutter way. It, the problem with that is, and that happens, people want that, they assume that cookie cutter way of breeding, say, bloods, is the same cookie cutter way for breeding ball pythons, corn snakes, king snakes. And, and that's another problem. It's like, you've got to know each species, you've got to know each individual, because it's not the same. Well, and then, now, yeah, go ahead, good. Well, uh, then it's also, so you're doing uh, a feeding cycle, which is one way you can do it. Or you could not do a feeding cycle, which is also a valid way to do it. And some of you will get hung up on, this is the way I do it. This is the only way to do it. And then they want to shit talk someone who gets results, but does it differently. And, and, and that's the thing, man. It's like, okay, I am a smart ass and I mess with people. And usually they're people that are my friends. Like when I was picking on April about teen eggs, I like teen eggs. I have teen eggs. I just like picking on her about it. Or I, or I did back in, back then. Magano, I pick on him about whatever I possibly can. <laughs> just because he deserves it and it's fun. Uh, I, I love fucking with Magano. It's I think fantastic. people online are like, why is Ryan so mean to that guy? <laughs> I've, I've had people ask me, they're like, why are you so mean to Dan? I was like, because he deserves it. And they're like, God, that's a dick thing to say. I was like, dude, I'm kidding, man. I like Dan. But somebody has to bust his balls. So, I mean, it's just the way it is. It's like messing with him. I think Dan, but Dan's doing, you know, the videos and all that. It's, it's bringing people in. And I mean, he's giving good information. Dan's good. Oh dude. yeah. He's, well, that, that stuff's good for y'all because blood short tails all have a history of being mean snakes. They're fat, mean snakes. You know, that's what they always were. And if you weren't a snake that was going to bite you buy a blood, but then you watch stuff like videos with Dan where he's holding this adult, and it's like holding a ball python, just a big fat ball python. It's it's calm. It's not trying to eat them. And I think more people need to see that. That yeah, those mean snakes were imports from the nineties. That's that's what you're made. That's like retics. You know, you, I remember growing up, retics were evil. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, there's so many videos now that like puppy dogs. Mm-hmm. So that stuff just has to get out there. That people have to see that more. And those videos help people get to see those, and they get to see that. Oh, bloods and short tails, that can be a viable pet. I've always liked them, but I was afraid of getting bit. But now I can see they're not as mean as I thought they were. No, no. I mean, and they're, you know, there's some that are going to be a lot more defensive and than others. I mean, but what I personally, I think like a super chill, relaxed, you know, blood or short tail is the best snake out there. That's just, you know, they're my thing. So I'm going to be biased. Yeah. But. I mean, you know, because they're a big snake, but they're not enormous. 
I mean, you know, like I can handle Ruby. Ruby's about six foot. And then I have a berm just like April. April and I both have a token berm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, April Hypo is, is just absolutely wonderful. But she's a big snake. She's, I wouldn't she's want, huge. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want ten like 10 berms or anything. I mean, kudos to the people that have tons of big snakes. I mean, I bred berms forever well, ago. Kudos to the people that have tons of big snakes and are keeping them properly. Keeping them properly, yes. Because yes. there are people with good 10 berms and they're using like four-foot cages and the snake just takes up the whole thing and a water bowl. So, that's, well, yeah, like people are like, oh, why does my perm get an RI? It's like, well, because they piss a lot. You have this giant snake crammed in a small cage. It's, like, it's long, never straightens out. Yeah. I mean, Sabrina, I have her in an eight foot cage. April's is in an eight foot cage, and our berms are not massive either. Mm-mm. I don't know how old April's is, but Sabrina's six years old, and she's like 11 foot. Mine's almost five. Actually, yeah, she is fine. And, I mean, and, you know, my berm is like, you know, not me, but lean and mean. You know, she's not fat or whatever. And, you know, and a lot of the, the hardcore berm guys now, like the good ones, like our friend Dylan and some of the other like Keith Basilico and some other people that I know personally, you know, their berms are in real good shape, real healthy. Um, you know, what, and, you know, retake the same way. What is that noise? I think Ryan has a bird. In his background. No, I'm a, I, I, no, I stepped outside and like the wind, <laughs> yeah. the wind gently blowing. <laughs> yeah. heard, heard like a, a tweet tweet noise. I'm like, I don't have a bird yeah. in here. Uh, oh, a, a dove did uh, build a nest in my rain gutter above me, so maybe she's trying to sing to you. <laughs> <laughs> and now that we know what it is, it's not going to be. <laughs> it's like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's the mystery so is gone. <laughs> All right, so um, one thing I'll say, James, is like one 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 thing before you go into that is because I have to talk about caramel Sumatran real quick. It's okay. like <laughs> go to April South and like you know caramel Sumatran. I mean Sumatrans, the the yellowheads are uh, you know I always thought they were cool, but it was not one that I wanted just because I you know have plenty of bloods and Borneos, and I just kind of always liked looking at them at other people's houses. So I go to April's house, and the first thing she shows me. And she pulls open this tub, and there's this flaming fluorescent orange head poking out of the cocoa. And I was like, what in the fuck is that? She's like, have you not seen my caramel Sumatra before? And it's like, no, that thing's insane. And she pulls it out, and I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, personally, that's the best one I've ever seen. And, and it's also, it's one. hard because... He does need one now. <laughs> it, that one I could take pictures of all day, every day, all sorts of different lighting, and it's never going to show up the way it actually is in person, ever. So, I've seen quite a few caramels. Um, none of them were even close to that. Well, I mean, the, you can thank Matt head. Turner for that. <laughs> oh yeah because i saw matt bred the uh his heads together again and i specifically asked matt i was like was that the pair that produced aprils and he's like yes it was that's like good to know <laughs> so yeah that that thing is nuts like, i think I, eric burke was gonna buy it too and i beat him to it <laughs> oh my god yeah that i don't think you'll ever i don't care what kind of lighting you use i don't think you'll ever be able to capture 
that's makes head that uh that's makes head yeah and the first thing you say is why don't you take more pictures of this and and that's why because it doesn't show up reds as and, anything super exciting I, I find reds and pinks are nearly impossible to get on, in a photograph yeah like, with uh, your boas for yeah. sure i can't get it like oh, it, it doesn't show up and then like that that uh that salmon ghost corn snake, which is pink. When I take pictures of it, it's gray. And I'm like, I swear, this snake is pink in real life. But every picture, it's just gray. Oh, you can't. Yeah, you can't have one of those because I, I, uh, it's like a good picture of one because I bought my wife a uh, salmon snow motley from Shores Enough Snakes. I bought it for her in 2013. And that snake is the hardest snake to take a picture of. And then I think the other one I got her a while back was like a hypo. Stripe something or other, uh, lavender hypo stripe or something. It's like it's a purple striped corn snake with black eyes. It's it's cool. like it's alien looking, but like I can't take a picture of it because the snake is purple. Yeah, people will come over that have seen the picture of that snake and they'll see it person. They're like, oh my god, this snake's purple. It's like I know. That's <laughs> like my picture does my one boa, my one boa baby. That's like red. His entire body comes out looking white in every picture. I'm like. It just looks like a sun glow. It doesn't look like it's a red bodied sun glow. It's just, it's a white background. I'm like, I swear, in person, this thing is red. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, Borneos are impossible. Like, uh, one of April's snakes is, uh, uh, that snake's what? Medusa? The mean yeah. one? Yeah. <laughs> okay, like, in, in her videos and pictures or whatever, Medusa's kind of, you know, eh. Yeah. Looking. You know, but like when you see her in person and you look at all the little nuances of the snake and all that, you're like, okay, yeah, she's pretty nice looking Borneo. But in pictures, because she's just, you know, more or less a normal Borneo, it's impossible to like really look at like the beauty of that snake just because it's hard to capture it. Like, like someone, Borneo. someone listening right now out there that has this amazing light setup goes, all you gotta do is this. <laughs> not for, not for, not for earth tones, man. It's pretty hard. It's, it, or orange. Orange is probably the, the hardest color palette to get because I've, you know, had, you know, I have orange head Borneos just like April does. And like you'll take a picture of them and they look pretty good. But then someone will come over to your house and you'll pull open a, a tub or whatever and they'll see the orange head of this Borneo and they're like, holy shit, that thing's head is awesome. And, it, and they're like, in the picture, it didn't look like that. I was like, I know, it's. It's hard to capture. Someone out there with Mexican black king snakes is going, I don't know what y'all's problem is. I take pictures of my snakes all the time. <laughs> yeah. They look just great. <laughs> Comes out black every time. I don't know what. Uh, I have noticed I, what I, does help, though, is I changed out the lights in my snake room to, like, the daylight LED lights. And that actually really helps with my picture taking quality without having to set up a photo booth or anything like that. But still doesn't help the oranges all the way. It, it's funny how popular. That's another thing that like the popularity of a snake just pops up and like the prices soar and whatever. It, it's you know because I bred Mexican black kings years and years and years ago when they were forty dollars. I sell them goes for like forty bucks. Yeah, I remember the now they were like one hundred fifty or something. They're coming back down, but it was like. Two hundred bucks everywhere. Two hundred bucks. Two hundred bucks. Two hundred. I'm like, what the fuck? These were forty dollars. But what? I'm surprised. It's kind of funny that they. I mean, they've always been cool. They're really cool snakes. And then Gagei, the you know the black milks are real awesome. Well, those get you big get too. Version. I had yeah. black milk uh, before, and they're 
they're fucking awesome. But but black notes are harder to sell because they don't come out black. Like, they don't start black. So, no, they like, look like an Indian milk when they're a baby. Um, yeah. Knowing how big they get, like black milks, like I kind of wish that some of them would stay that tricolor look and just be this, you know, six foot beefy milk snake. Um, you know, just because Andean milks, a lot of milks, you know, you, you they're hard to find anymore. You got like Aaron Bayer that breeds lo- localities and then like maybe a handful of other people. But a lot of the really sweet North American clubrids are overseas. Yeah. Like our own snakes that are super awesome are mostly over in Europe because like those guys were buying all that stuff up years and years ago. And then like when ball pythons and boas and everything started, you know, and really ticks started kind of taking over the popularity in the U S like a lot of the colubrids kind of got pushed on the back burner. So, I mean, there's plenty of cool colubrids here still, but a lot of like, like Bailey line Hondurans. That's, um, God, I can't remember his first name for the life of me, but you know, uh, Bailey reptiles up there. And I think yeah. like Minnesota, he, the Bailey line Hondurans, well, those are his. Well, they're all overseas now for the most part. Because when he sold his, his Hondurans, they went overseas. So now they're super hard to find here. I do find it. There, there are North American species that I find funny that are, are not bigger in the hobby. And I've talked about rubber boas before. I, I find it funny that we have them in the country, and yet you can barely find <laughs> rubber boas in the hobby. Or, yeah, nobody. Yeah. or, um, Oh, my brain. I just had it in my brain. Uh, lizard from the southeast or southwest. Um, Collard lizards? No. Uh, it's like Chuck Wallace. Chuck Wallace. Like, Chuck yeah. Wallace, it's, it's basically like a Euromastix or a Peter Dragon. It fits the same niche, but no oh, one. And they're cool with shit. There's, <laughs> yeah, some real, yeah. there's some really cool looking ones out there with a lot of color. They're not just a black mm-hmm. lizard anymore. No, they're almost like calico looking, some of them. And yet, it's that's. Yeah, I, I love lizards, but like I love them in other people's houses. Um, <laughs> Agree. I have, yes. I have one lizard, and it's a red tegu, and I always wanted a red tegu, and I wanted a male. And a local friend of mine, Kim, you know, she saw that I said it one day I'd like a red tegu, and I put a picture of one I found on Google. And I came home from my deployment. She's like, "Hey, do you still want a red tegu?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she's like, well, hey, do you want mine? And like cage and all this other stuff. I was like, yeah. <laughs> went up and made a three-hour drive and went up there and picked him up and brought him home. And he's pretty sweet. I definitely just want one. Yeah, li- lizards are time-consuming. Yeah, that and that's I- definitely something I wouldn't really. Those guys that breed tons of tegus and other lizards like Ty Park and some of those guys, like I don't know how they do it. Me either. Um, well, Ty, Ty Park does it because he has an insane facility. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I know still what, didn't uh, start uh, out that no, way. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it, it, it take, well, now he's, but also, I imagine his work ethic, not downplaying any of our work ethics, I imagine his yeah. is, is much larger than ours. Well, I if mean, I lived in, like, if I lived in Florida, and I could keep a lot of the, like, the big, I mean, I wouldn't want to, because, like, you know, I'm a snake person, but if that was my thing, yeah, and I could do the outdoor thing, like a lot of those guys do, then maybe. But, like, I couldn't imagine trying to keep any number of, like, tegus or something else inside trying to mess with them. Yeah. You know, because, like... The he, big monitors. Yeah, like, because he digs and, like, you know, he'll... You know, bedding will, you know, be, like, outside of his cage, like, just from him, you know, scratching and throwing it. So it'll be, like, all over the floor in my snake room. And, um, you know, and I, I let him out all the time. And he just kind of walks around 
the snake room because I can't take him outside. He he freaks out, <laughs> and that's probably just because he was you know he's three years old when I got him, so he's kind of already like stuck in a certain pattern. And uh, yeah, if you take him outside, he, he goes ballistic. So that's uh, I don't do that. So I'm curious. This is going to <laughs> bring us back to the our Facebook page, um, James. We had a question about what. How would you word it? What is your biggest fear? Is that what you yeah, said? It says, what is, what is the one thing you worry the most about with your animals? Fire. That was, that was a lot of them. Well, and, and this here, I'll, let me preface this whole question with why I came up. So this weekend at the Herb Show in Conroe, Texas, uh, on Friday, we all found out that J.T. Tomlinson, uh, which if any of y'all have ever used Reptichip, that's the guy that's, that does Reptichip. He also breeds. Um, a lot of snakes, ball pythons, some higher and stuff. Uh, he his house burned down. Uh, he lost ninety five percent of his collection, um, and so we found out. He, this, go ahead. I was just say yeah. He lost everything that he wasn't taking to the show. Yes. Um, and, and and that that just was horrifying when I thought about that. I mean, because fire is always you know we always use heat sources. We all use heat tape, radiant heat panels, heat bulbs. These are all things that are electrical that we know can cause a fire if something fucks up. Um, and so fire is always the biggest concern for me because of that. Um, and so I asked this question just to see what everybody else has been concerned. And that was a almost a constant thing on these people was fire. But there were some other ones that was not fire. I'll go through those real quick and then we'll discuss uh, what ours were. Um, one was... Uh, Man, why do you, some of y'all got some names that are just really? <laughs> just say their first name. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this one. Jason Miloradovich. Mil, Miloradovich. <laughs> if I mess it up, that's your fault for having that last name, not my fault. So <laughs> the so the joke was his wife selling his eggs for what she thinks he paid for them. Uh, yeah, that's funny. That's funny, but seriously, it's because overreaching rules and regulations, which is a big thing right now. You know. I'm honestly afraid that in the next 10 years that we won't be able to have anything. I uh, worry for my friends that do this full time because what then? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary to think that you could become a criminal overnight on some of these laws. Something that you know is inherently is harmless. It's your hobby. It hurts, harms nobody. What? But someone who knows nothing about it can change your life like that by passing a law. So that scares me. That 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 is a serious fear, um, a long term fear more than just the short term, like fire. Um, I think that's honestly why I haven't really bulked up my collection more than it is. I probably have about forty five snakes, and that includes the babies that I kept from last year. And I've debated. You know, bringing my collection down. Do I bulk it up? Where do I want to go with it? And uh, you know, part of the back of my head is thinking, well, if all these laws pass and I want to do this more full time than what I'm doing now, then that's all just going to be gone. So why am I going to put in the effort right now to to bulk that all up and and get that going in that direction? You know what I mean? I I firmly believe it would just turn into an underground thing. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, just people wouldn't really be posting stuff. Yeah, I'm not uh, getting rid of anything. Yeah, nobody. I I still think people would breed. I still think people would do their thing. It's just it would go back to the uh, 
you know, meeting up, you know, selling snakes, doing that kind of stuff. And it would just, uh, you know, but the online presence would be gone and shipping would be gone. The people, because like I just, when, when there's a will, there's a way. Um, I, I love my snakes and look, man, I've served my country for almost two decades and you're not going to tell me <laughs> that I can't keep my blood pythons. I'd, I'll fight tooth and nail over that. Well, you and, know, and I, I, if they make these laws, we'll lose the legitimacy that we've gained in the hobby. Like, yeah. we've, we've come pretty far. I mean, used to, if you owned a snake, you were a person covered in tattoos and piercings and you were an outcast. But now you go to a reptile expo, that's not, that's very few of the people that walk through the gate at a reptile expo. Yeah, it, it's not, it's not, there's so many people, you know, like now, from when I was a kid to now, like you see tons of women keeping snakes. You see people from all facets, you know, like you might see the, the tatted biker looking dude. And then you'll see somebody like that woman that bought from, you know, Matt Donnie that I remember, you know, she's a veterinarian. Yeah. You or know, these uh, suburban families buying their kid, their first yeah. pet reptile. I, I think that, you know, right now they're going after the low hanging fruit. The easy stuff that people will get on board with the public is like, you know, like berms and in retics and anacondas and tegus and stuff like that. You know, you got, you know, big lizards or big snakes. And, you know, that's kind of easier for the public to be like, oh, shit, okay. You know, I think it's easier for those because, like, if they start going after the, the smaller stuff is when they'll get more blowback. Well, it's it's the whole – so people outside of the hobby, when a law comes around and goes, we want to outlaw these large constrictors that can get 15, 16 foot. And so I'm going, yeah, no one needs a 16 foot snake. Fuck you. You've never owned one. So you don't, I mean, no one needs a lot of shit that we have, but it, well, people it goes, just need to worry about them fucking selves, man. Like don't, I mean, honestly, I mean, okay. Say somebody has, you know, a, a garage full of 10 retics or whatever. They're not hurting anybody. Nope. Their snakes are their outlet. That's their fun, their hobby. That's what they geek out over. They're not walking around the park, you know, throwing the snake on the ground, you know, feeding people's dogs to it or whatever. They're minding their own business, you know, trying to live in a free country and do what they want. Well, it's, I see a lot of parallels with, like, what gun owners are going through. You know, people go, well, no one needs an AR-15. Have you ever shot one? It's fucking fun. Yes, you yeah. do. Go shoot <laughs> one. You'll realize maybe you do That's need awesome. this. <laughs> so, like, don't tell me no one needs stuff if you don't actually know what it's like to own the thing. No one what needs a designer purse that holds money, right, James? <laughs> yeah, no one needs a $130 purse, April. <laughs> no one needs two ball sack cats that you paid way too much for. April. <laughs> April. It, no, it's it's okay because my my wife is similar to April. She's bougie. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky, Ricky likes her nice shoes and her she gets her nails did. And with that said, her, none of that shit hurts anyone else. It doesn't, man. I mean, honestly, just, I mean, the, we barely ever see any mishaps with big snakes. Consider, considering how many are out there, I mean, look at how many people have retics. And how uh, often do we hear or see anything happen with them? How many times do you see? Considering how many there are. Well, I'm thinking about dog bites. I mean, dog bites happen way more often, but they're not publicized as much as one snake. 
one snake out of however many does one thing, and now they're all evil. Yeah, I mean, you know, man, I'll say one thing about retakes that I like is that, like, there's a lot of great knowledge out there that, you know, like, you know, Kevin at Nerd and then Rob, you know, him having Rob there was a great addition because Rob's such a good dude. And, like, just putting out good information, some of the other, you know, really good retake guys like, you know, Jake Klotz and some of the other ones, you know, because even 20 years ago with retakes, you know, I think – I don't know if people were doing tap training or any of that stuff. Yeah. And like that, that right there, you know, cause I have a retake and she is awesome. She is awesome, but you better tap her and let her know it's not food time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> soon as she, soon as you turn off that food mode, she is like a giant, well, I don't want to say a corn snake. I always call retakes like big milk snakes cause they're always moving around constantly. But sugar is just such a chill, calm snake but you need to turn off that food response. Oh, yeah. If I just reached in there willy-nilly, I'd look like, what's her face in her rat ring? <laughs> Should I put the camera down and help on? You know? <laughs> no, I keep filming. Uh, we're you, good. We'll get likes. That's what we're out for we're in this world. This is great. <laughs> I mean, oh, that, 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 that's also another downfall, and that's not our hobby. That's just people in general. People have to have attention now, and so shit like that video, people just want likes. I had so many military friends. Like, I had to make a post, please stop tagging me in it. Because, like, all my, like, I mean, it was like a dozen different military buddies of mine, like, posted that video on my timeline and tagged me in it. Of course, most of them thought it was funny. But I was like, no, 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 please don't. Please don't tag me in that. Like, that that was stupid. I I, I don't want to be associated with that. Yeah. So, back to our question. Yeah. Uh, Jason had a very good point. Uh, I, I, it's not why I went straight to, but yes, o- overreaching laws and regulations are a huge, huge fear in this hobby. Um, it is. And then most of these people wrote very good, in-depth answers. And then Dan Magano just writes fire. That's all he put. Just fire. Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's legit. It is. It's, it's, it's funny. It, it's wedged in between all these like paragraph answers, and then you get to Dan fire which is kind of funny because dan is a uh, is a big fan of the paragraph answers so on that one he just he, he chose the the short route oh uh, and then uh my friend gina through the herp shows uh she said fire and parasites parasites are a big one that's why if you don't quarantine you're an idiot quarantine yeah. everything uh and then she also mentioned that the fire with jt rattled her too because of all this um i do want to say let me, uh, let me go ahead and throw this out there while I'm talking about JT Tomlinson. There is a group on Facebook called Charity Auction Group for JT Tomlinson. Uh, go there. People are adding stuff all the time for the auction. You can go there. You can bid on it. All this money is going to him. Uh, one good thing that someone, someone started a post like on Saturday. You know, They had already had, I don't know how many people in this group at that point. There's over there's 2,852 people in there now. And they said, you know, if everybody donated 25 bucks to JT, uh, which isn't much, it would really help. And so, you know, I talked about on previous shows because of uh, Eric Burke started taking a percentage of what I earn at every show and giving it to U.S. Art. But this last show, I decided, all right, I'm going to take a percentage of what I earn. And I went ahead and, and sent it straight to, they gave us some PayPal and I sent it straight to him, donated to him because I would hope that if I was ever in that situation, that people would help me. That's the one thing I love about this hobby. And I think that it's a very close knit group. 
and that people honestly want to help each other. And when you look, when something like this happens, that's, that's heartbreaking. When, when the chips are down, I, I think people come together and help out, especially good people. I mean, JT is a good solid dude. Um, yeah, he's a veteran. I mean, he's, it, I, do, I donated 25 bucks. So, and like I said, it, almost everybody at this point has used Reptichip at some point. Uh, so. so at some point, and I mean, and he's, you know, he's a good dude. Um, you know, and it sucks. Uh, I would say maybe besides fire for me, I mean, obviously a virus would, is scary, but like more than likely. Been there, done that. Virus yeah. Scary. More than likely. <laughs> the two things I'm mostly worried about happening with me is like one is like any of us that keep any number of snakes is like, I hate mites with a passion. Oh, like I hate mites. And that's, it's mainly cause like, you know, when you have a decent sized collection and you find mites, it's, Oh my God, it's a pain in the ass. Yep. Cause when you have more than like two, three, four snakes, I mean, that is a nightmare. Oh yeah. That's a big reason why I don't, you know, let many snake people over is, uh, you know, I'm just super paranoid. You, you gotta be, not, you gotta be mites are hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, like April and I keeping, you know, bigger snakes, you know, our snakes have such big scales. I mean, mites could probably hide on, you know, bloods and whatnot for a while before like you wouldn't notice them until they exploded. Yeah. And that, that's what's scary. You know, Dude, I had I that once on my ivory. And it looked like someone just put pepper all over her. I remember that. Explosion. That was a long time ago. I can't believe you remember that. I was like, holy shit. There was so many. But man, that frontline spray, though, I can't say enough good things about that frontline spray. You put it on once and they're eradicated. Yeah, that does work really well. I haven't had to, uh, I haven't had to use it, but, uh, yeah, everything I've seen. Because when that, your, your friend, uh, Stephen Katz or whatever. Yeah, and then even um, around that time, even the the exotic vet that I went to, he recommended that as well. And that's just the -the over-the-counter frontline spray, right? Yep. Yep. So that's cool. You can get it on Amazon, too. It's on there. So uh, It uh, it lasts a really long time. Sorry. I'll I'll stop talking about it. Shut up, April. (laughs) <laughs> April owns stock and frontline spray. Just so knows. Please go out and buy it. She needs to buy a new purse, so go out and buy some frontline spray. <laughs> a new sweater for one of her cats. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Got to cover up the ball sacks. Yeah. yeah. They, they, shriv- they shrivel up in the winter. <laughs> so uh, this one was a really uh, serious one. Stephen Livingston said uh, his biggest fear is what would happen if he died. Uh, background was in 2015 he was diagnosed with lung cancer so he sold everything except for a pair of hog islands so that his wife wouldn't have to deal with if I mean if he passed deal with getting rid of the animals um, times go by he's better now and so now he's building his collection back up but dude, that is a serious thing like you know I, I feel confident if something were to happen to me uh, my wife would contact you April or Joe or somebody and somebody could help her figure out what to do there's enough people I know that the Herb shows um, yeah. Sean Gray and all that my collection will be taken care of. But uh, that's definitely a serious concern, especially we talk about um, a lot of people's hobby feel so isolated in the hobby. They feel like where they live, it's just them in their own little bubble. Uh, one thing for me with this podcast and, and with doing all these shows, I've been able to, to reach more people and talk to more people. So I, I don't feel like I'm just in my little bubble, but 
I can see the serious fear that if, if you feel like there's no one really around you that knows your animals or what to do with them and something happened, uh, yeah, that bad stuff could happen to your collection. Yeah, that, yeah, that would be pretty scary. I mean, I, I know me personally, I'm pretty fortunate to have really great friends and, uh, I know they would be taken care of, you know, cause like I, you know, I have Kara and like, you know, Kara would come from Iowa and, and help Ricky in a second. And then, you know, I have Matt and Anya that live 40 minutes away, you know, April's two hours away. My friends, Andy and Nicole, you know, they're like two and a half hours away. Like all these people I know would come help me just like I would for them at the point of an eye. Um, so hopefully that doesn't happen because <laughs> I, you know, see, that's the I great thing. enjoy keeping my stakes for a while longer, but, uh, <laughs> and that's the thing know, about this I, hobby is I think the closeness that people that you find lifelong friends in this hobby. It's not just, I, I own a snake and that's, I mean, I talked about before a couple episodes ago, this whole hobby is more than a hobby for me. It's, it's, it's my lifestyle. And so like, I've made some really good friendships through it. And then I've also met people like April. So whatever. Uh, you're a jerk. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and then Jason, I guess it's pronounced Ralph or Ralph, uh, said as a newer keeper, he worries about his inexperience, causing him to miss something. Uh, you know, maybe like missing a respiratory infection. That's why he says, you know, you don't hear that wheeze or whatever in time. And then it gets, and, it, and you know, with snakes, if they're sick, by the time you really notice it, if you're not paying attention to the small stuff, uh, it's usually too late. I mean, they, 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 they can hide sicknesses. So, yeah, as an, as a new person, not knowing uh, the lack of knowledge is definitely a fear. And, and you know what? That is something scary with with mine and April snakes too, because like we get new people in, and especially like a bigger one is, you know, because they have like when they're trying to push all that air out of those tiny nostrils. If you're not used to the sounds they make and just, you know the the snake okay. itself you're not used to them. Oh, yeah big body snakes wheeze that's just you, you'll miss it and like because like if one of my snakes gets an ri because it doesn't happen every year to me but usually it's breeding season and it's almost always a male because like when the females start putting off their pheromones my males go absolutely ballistic <laughs> and especially if it's a male that i'm not pairing he'll just like cruise back and forth back and forth back and forth and he'll stress himself out so bad that a lot of times I haven't got like a full blown respiratory infection in one of my males, but I've gotten like respiratory irritation where they where just like sound I different. Catch it, I catch it early. And, uh, my vet, Dr. Baines, like, she's great. She's the former little rock zoo vet. Um, I've had it happen, I think with two different males of mine and I've taken them there right off the bat and, uh, just a little bit of bubbling in the mouth. And uh, out of the nostrils, nothing like real bad, you know, no gaping mouth, hard to breathe, uh, just irritated. And we just give them, you know, a round of uh, Fortas. And uh, for me anyway, it's cleared them right up. And then I didn't have an issue again. But it was just those males just going nuts because they wanted to breed and I wasn't breeding them. And, you know, they just stressed themselves out so bad. Yeah. Luckily, I hadn't had that happen a lot with, uh, you know, the short tails or berms or anything. Like when I was younger and kept a lot of berms, I didn't have respiratory infections. But I always kept my berms in like eight foot by four foot by two foot cages and gave them like really big hot spots and took them, a lot, took them out a lot. So they were always moving around at getting exercise, getting that lung stretched out. And, uh, and I always cleaned. 
like if I go in my room and like my big berm, even if I have to go to work and I saw like she pissed and her cage is flooded or something, I don't wait. I let her sit in that for nine hours before I come home. I was like, I clean it right then and there. Yeah. I well, I think that, that also, uh, in, in, if you have, and even if it's one cage, you need to have a system that makes cleaning easier. The easier you make that, the more often you're willing to do it, the faster it can happen. So like, I've got paper that I can cut to size. I got to cut, and I can change out a cage in probably oh two minutes, minus the time it takes to move the animal or whatever. Um, yeah. But if you have a very, uh, if everything's cluttered and it's kind of a, a chore, a task just to do a simple cage cleaning, you're more likely to let it go a day or whatever, just because you're like, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. Um, and that's, that's why I don't keep tubs with lids, man. Yeah. Like when people have Christmas tree tubs stacked up, you know, cause they can't get a rack or whatever, uh, or they have like baby hatchling racks they made, but they have the lids on them. I just, I, I know that's a simple thing. No, I get but it. Just like pulling it out, popping the lid off. I mean, it's a pain. In the it, ass. It's an extra step. That's a pain. Look, once I switched over to my, my racks and the four foot cages I bought, and once I switched from how I used to be doing to what I'm doing now, my care became so much better just because as snake people in general, we tend to be a little more lax than say like a lizard person. Uh, that's why we like snakes. They're low maintenance. So they're awesome. And so if things are difficult, like take again, I know people are going to go, well, it's just a lid. You're just taking a lid off. Yeah, I get that. But if all I'm doing is opening a tub, taking out some paper towel, spraying it down, putting it down in some bed, whatever, that's super fast. It's those little things that make it easier. You know, oh, yeah, it, I mean, like, yeah, dude, you keep, um, uh, like, you can keep, like, your adult buds in, like, those boa tubs, okay, and when, like, you have one that just absolutely unleashes hell in their, in their tub, mm-hmm. you can take the snake out, and, like, if it's real bad, like, you can take it outside or whatever and, like, hose it out and everything else, and, it, you know, cage is pain in the ass, and, um, buds aren't really very fond of cages anyway, um, uh, they really do better in racks. It, they just, I don't know. I've, I've only had, I think, one or two bloods that were okay in a cage. They were just real, real chill, but they were just really, really big bloods. And I just put them in a cage so they had room. But and you keep them in a tub and just pop them out, take the tub out, and wipe it down, clean it real good, get it real nice and clean, and then slide it back in, put the snake back in. It's easy money. Well, like April posted uh, simple things like those clips and hooks that you have, April, for your cleaning supplies and your hooks on the wall. Yep. That keeps everything nice and neat and orderly. It makes it much easier to find something, easier to move around. Like It's those simple things. They add up. Like I got this rolling cart for my snake room that I can keep all my cleaning supplies on. It's all one of the place. best things ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Those wheeling carts, those, those are the shit. Those oh. are great. Is that the, like the Rubbermaid brand? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. Yeah, they're like 150 bucks or something. Yeah, go to Harbor Freight. Harbor Freight is your friend. Yeah, I love, I love the, I love Harbor Freight. I walk in there so many times. I'm like, I don't need the stuff, but I'm gonna buy it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so but it just, it's whatever making it easier, you know. Especially like when you have any number of animals. Um, you know, like one thing I do, I don't do it every single time, but like you know, I'll clean the top of the racks too. I can pull the tub out and like yeah. I'll actually go in there and clean the tops. Yeah, I'll definitely do it if like it's something that 
if it's really like if they really went to the bathroom and it got wet and condensation built up on the tub, then you know condensation built up on the surface, you know, of the shelf. Well, it just kind of is funny is like I, you know, I went when I went to April's house and, you know, her retics in there and like, you know, she just got done shedding or whatever and how retics shed is just her shed like all over the cage and everything. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know that pain. <laughs> you know, you, you, retics, you, you'll have their cage absolutely spotless and then they'll shed or whatever and the cage is absolutely destroyed. Like, I don't have any problems with stuck sheds on, on the retic, but like her shed will be everywhere. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. My berm shed, and it's like one big piece. But my retex, she sheds, and it's like, it's on the top of the cage. Yep. It's all on the water bowl. But if, if you don't get it in time, it dries, and it like, you uh, got to peel it off, it leaves little pieces all over the place. No, that's when you just spray it with whatever cleaner, get yes. it wet again. Yeah, you got to rehydrate the skin. To yeah. <laughs> uh, so, back to this, uh, Amanda Rua, she said tornadoes. That would be um, big thing because uh, they also keep venomous, so they have a whole protocol cool. for boxing up their venom- venomous, securing them in a separate room in their bathroom, away from where they're securing themselves, so that if something were to happen, they're not in a room with venomous snakes getting broken out of boxes. Um, so that is definitely. I mean, well, could you I'm imagine that? Like, tornado, you get hit with like a gaboon viper. <laughs> you're like outside and you're like you know snake or something all of a sudden a kaboom viper like slaps you in the side of the head and you're like what the fuck <laughs> uh, she also said <laughs> she also said fire and she said uh, she really likes the idea of like putting a sprinkler system in uh, in like the snake room which would be kind of cool yeah, that's a good idea that popped in my head when, when so many people said fire I'm like well that would be like an extra thing because I have um like a security camera in there. And now I want to hook up like a smoke detector that will go to my security, uh, the same company. So that way I can get notifications on my phone. But I'm like, at that point, what am I going to do if there's a fire and I'm out of town? What am I going to do really? Like, I don't, I'm not going to be able to react enough. And I thought, well, if I get a sprinkler system (laughs) and hook that up, then we'll be good. (laughs) Um, That's kind of cool. She mentioned that. Cause like, yeah, that would seem like an obvious thing, but like I didn't even think of that. Because because that's like a, a commercial type of thing, not yeah. like in your house in a residential but, area. But I mean, but think about it: if you could put the fire out in your snake room, because that's where in your house, if you keep snakes, that's where you're probably going to have fire because there's so many heating elements, electrical things. It saves the rest of your house too. Yeah. So I mean, as a, uh, that that's my biggest number one. That is my biggest fear. So when everyone else had that too, I'm like, oh, it's not just me. Fire scare. Yeah. Super well, scary. a friend of mine lives in Stuttgart, Arkansas, and, you know, they have a lot of, uh, you know, like bayous and all that, you know, it's big duck hunting there, and I guess, like, there was a huge rainstorm one year, and uh, her property got flooded, which she kept her snakes in this, uh, wasn't a barn, but some kind of, like, modified shed, uh, and when it flooded, the water actually got into the snake room about two feet deep uh-huh. in there, so she lost like several of her snakes that were in like the bottom racks. And then like she had, uh, she had a couple berms and like the berm in the lower cage was like barely hanging on because like it had its head, like just propped up above, like its nostrils were just exposed Damn. above the water. But like she lost, I don't know how many, uh, ball pythons and it sucked for her because that's back when, uh, you know, not that money should play any 
significance in losing a wife. But like, you know, back then pies were still expensive and she had a couple of her piebald males in the bottom cubs. And, uh, you know, Lori, she's not a millionaire. So, you know, she had worked her ass off to pay for those pies. And I think she lost four of them. That's rough. Yeah. By, by a flood, like random, it, you know. Arkansas, we have tornadoes. I mean, I have a brick house, but it's still something I think about. You know, especially like with my snakes, because you know my big bloods. I mean, throwing a bunch of corn snakes in a bag is a lot easier than <laughs> bagging up these guys. Oh, yeah. Trying to mm-hmm. do something with them. And then uh, Miguel Villa or Villa uh, said, also besides thermostat. Failure and fire, which one? He also had the fear of, you know, something happened to him and his girlfriend. They die suddenly. What happens to all their animals? Um, yeah. Lance Kirkman, uh, I guess, needs to get out more often, Lance. I'm just saying, because he said, I'm not sure that he's worried about anything. He thinks he has everything pretty settled. I'm telling uh, you, uh, JT Thompson had everything pretty settled <laughs> in his whole house burned down. Nothing that's ever in stone. Yeah. F- fire, fire needs to be at, at least the top two of everybody's list. I mean, we're dealing with stuff that can catch on fire. Yeah. It's yeah. It, well, it, those perpset uh, ones, I think they fail off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because yeah. like I know a lot of them, like the Rankos and some of the other thermostats that weren't actually made for reptile heat tape and stuff. I think those will fail on, so then your heat tape will just roast. Well, and Lance uh, says that heat tape isn't supposed to be able to get hot enough to melt PVC or start a fire. Well, it's not supposed to, but it, it happens. It does. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's how people have lost collections is, is heat tape. Now, the newer heat tape is, is better than the older. The newer heat tape does have that fire retardant layer on it, uh, whereas the older stuff didn't. But shit well, what happens. If you, what if your connection is just bad? Because, you know, you can, yeah. if you're making your own cages or your own racks, you can get sheets of that stuff and you have to cut it and make the, the wiring connections yourself. If you don't do that right, that can mess you up. Yeah. And it can work for years. And then just one day, you it's it's worn its way through. And I mean, it's there should yeah. always be a concern. I always change heat tape out. How often? Every two or three years, maybe. Just as precaution. You know, I know I'm like, way overdue to do that, and I should, and it's like in my head, okay, April, I know you should switch this out just to make sure you're good, and I haven't. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times I think we just uh, plug and play, get our shit set up, and it, it just works. And I'm we get so it. <laughs> and life is busy, and, you know, I mean, it's before you know it you've already had like those same racks for like a couple of years. Mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, you know, like when I came over your house and I saw some of your snakes, I mean, it seems like they were babies just the other day. And you have your golden eye head teen egg male is, you know, an adult, uh, you know, some of your other animals. I was like, Oh wow. I still think that's like a baby for some reason. I need to get a time flies, man. You know, I got my first blood five or six years ago. My very, very first one, who was a, a beautiful, like brownish yellow normal. Uh, he ended up getting a tumor on his head uh, and it like ruptured and he bled out. Isn't that the craziest thing? That is. That's, that's weird. Well, that, see, that's another now, thing. Now I have to add tumors to my, our tumors are already on my list. <laughs> yeah. I already had a sleep surgery this add- year tons and tons and tons of snakes and then they'll like they'll shortchange themselves on on racks or cages or thermostats which is 
not a good idea. And then, you know, like they'll have so many snakes, but like, you know, they don't have anything in the bank or whatever to where something happens to their animal, mm-hmm. you know, they're yeah. screwed. Like uh, our friend April, that I always call other April, April Hoffman, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, she had an issue. I forgot the blood's name is like Pret- Pretzel or Chili. I don't remember. It was one of hers, but like it was like, what was it happened to that snake, April? Wasn't it like exploding out of the side or something? Yeah, I mean, it was possible and, cancer, wasn't it? I think it was like discolored yeah, scales, weird. and so it was like, old blood. He was like nineteen yeah. years old. Or but see, I mean, she's spending the money, and uh, you know, our friend Dylan uh, Haney, he had that. Uh, I think it was his green berm was egg bound, and he had to take her big ass to the vet and get her, uh, you know, worked on, and you know, you just. You got to be prepared. I mean, because I mean, I love my snakes. If something happens, like every one of them is probably, I always say this one's my favorite. This one's my favorite. But, you know, if something happens to them, I want to be able to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's, yeah. Darren Watson also said fire, but then escape. That's one I haven't been mentioned yet. Escape is a big thing. Now, I, I don't have, I'm not, I'm not really tooting my own horn, but toot, toot. Here we go. I haven't had an escape in a long time. It's been. Yeah. I haven't had one since I was a kid. I since the way I secure my cages now, uh, I don't have. Now I'm not saying it won't. I'm not saying I won't go through feeding one night and forget to turn the little clip down on the tub to lock it in. That could happen one day, uh, but it hasn't happened in a long, long time. But escape, especially for newer people or anyone that owns a baby corn snake, really. Uh, <laughs> Is is definitely a fear because baby corn snakes can get out of everything. So, oh, like the corn snake animals. that I have missing right now. Yes, like that one. I have a little bit of a story. So, as you guys know, I am traveling out to Little Rock, Arkansas, every single week, if not two weeks at a time or just one week. So, I'm actually home right now, and it's been a week. And I came into my snake room yesterday, and my bearded dragon's cage was like there was probably like 30 flies like house flies flying in there and it's only been a week so i'm like okay i cleaned up everything last week there's nothing where like maggots like the whole maggot life cycle takes like two weeks if you've ever bred fruit flies you kind of know that but i cleaned up everything so i'm like what the heck the only thing i can think of is that that corn snake that escaped died and flies got to it but i can't find anything I have no idea where all these flies came from. Uh, at that, all. Could, that could be, and, and they're so small they dry out pretty quick. So you wouldn't really smell a dead baby corn if it's if it's truly you know it's a small baby. It's like a year old, so it has some size to it, but yeah. it's not like a huge snake. Yeah, I don't know. But escape know is either. escape. Escape is definitely on. The, should be on people's top five. That's definitely a concern. Uh, Ryan Cox said putting himself and his ego before his animals. Uh, oh. I see that. Some people definitely think that their way is the way. They're doing everything right, and yet their animals will suffer from it sometimes. So re- they refuse to change how they do stuff. So I can see that. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a true statement right there. Yeah, you know, people get very cocky about how they're keeping, and they don't want to admit they did something wrong. So they keep doing what they're doing, whether it is beneficial or harmful to the animal. And so that could definitely be a serious concern. Well, I mean, if if you keep if you've kept if you keep snakes for a long time and it becomes your lifestyle and all that other stuff, I mean, and you say that you've never had mites and you've kept snakes for 
any amount of time after a while. I mean, I'm usually pretty skeptical of that because, I mean, it happens to everybody, man. I mean, at some point, somehow, I mean, I haven't had them in a really long time. Um, I'm super anal about it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've been lucky. But, I mean, I've gotten them before. I got them back in college, and they were a nightmare. Oh, it I sucks. Got I mean, when what? I was buying animals off Craigslist. That's yeah, that'll, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, like, what happened was, like, what I was saying earlier in the show is when I said about, like, I'm, I'm usually pretty anal about who comes over is, I used to be pretty cool about just allowing like snake friends that I'd met or whatever. After I got to know them a little bit, I just, I'll never let just like a random Joe Blow come over. But, uh, you know, like one, one of my friends came over, him and his girlfriend, and there were two snakes in particular. They were holding this when I had a lot of carpet pythons. And, um, it was like a week later or something. I noticed some mites on those particular carpets. And then I noticed them on a few other snakes in that same area. And I was like, oh, my God. And I don't know how many snakes I had back then. It was probably around 70 or 80. And that was a nightmare because I had a lot of stuff on aspen or cocoa bedding. And I had to get rid of all that. You know, cocoa bedding isn't cheap. I had to get rid of all that and then clean. And and since I had a lot of carpets, I had a lot of cages. And, you know, cages are a nightmare, especially if if you have mites pop up. Uh, Lots Lots of corners and little crevices. Oh man, and you know my cages are black, so it's even more <laughs> in the ass. And I was like, "Oh my god!" So now it's you know, you're you're washing yourself in sanitizer <laughs> before you come in there, and it's just, <laughs> oh man, I just ugh, screw that because they just spread and get all over everything, and it can happen so quick. Oh yeah. Um. Brandon Millichamp from the Canadian Herpetoculture Podcast said emergency escape plans in the, in case of like, if something happens, you need to pack up your animals, get them out quickly. Do you have a plan for being able to pack up all your animals and get them out quickly? You know, if there's a fire that didn't start in your snake room or maybe it's a small fire and you can still grab some of your, do you have something in place for that? Uh, right. So if you live in California, you know that we have fire season and Riley had to pack up his collection twice because the fire was getting too close to his house in Santa Barbara. So it does happen. And what he did was just making sure he had enough tubs. So he went and bought a crap ton of extra tubs, as did my other friend who the fire came, um, the Calabasas fire came right to his backyard. And make sure you have like an ample amount of either your uh, snake bags or pillowcases or whatever you're using. And that way you can move them out. Uh, And I would even suggest if you're in an area that gets fires like that to do a drill and see how long it takes you to actually collect all of them and how to put them in your car and how that's going to work. Because when it happens, it's just chaos and well, you're and rushing and it's nuts. Go buy you one of the, and I've got a ton of these, these uh, tubs now because I bought them because I moved. And I need to pack stuff and I was going to store things in them. But the, you know, the, the heavy duty like black tubs with the yellow lids, mm-hmm. go buy you one of those, fill it with smaller shoebox tubs and pillowcases and all the stuff you would need. So all you do is pull that tub down and everything's in it and you can pack all your animals you know, pull stuff out. So, but yeah, I, I, I don't have an emergency plan, but after seeing that, I'm like, I need one. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna put together a kit for being able to quickly pack everything up and get out of here. And uh, even just taking the step to have all the, like all the tubs and the pillowcases or bags or whatever that you need, that is, you know, a huge step in the right direction because with fires, you tend to have some time that, uh, 
you know, not everyone, obviously yeah. fires can go real fast, especially if you're in a valley or something. But uh, most of the time, if you're in a city, you have some time to be able to, to pack them all up, but still going through and, and having a, a really structured plan. And I say this and I don't have it. So it's totally <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think this is also where we talk about being organized comes into play. Cause if you're having to run around searching for tubs, searching for things, there goes all the time that, that you may lose half your animals because you were trying to find tubs to put them in. Mm-hmm. So be organized. Um, let's see. Derek Dyser said disease and virus. You know, right now with uh, things like Madovirus, that is definitely a huge concern. Again, if you're not quarantining stuff, you're dumb. You're That's just how dumb. it got me. Just t- just saying, I didn't quarantine, and half like a third to a half of my collection got wiped out. And quarantining can simply be a Rubbermaid tub with a heat pad under it on the other side of your house. And and don't quarantine for a week. You need to quarantine for a minimum of three months. I don't do less than three months. And, you know, and it may be, a well, I don't have anywhere else I can put this animal. Find somewhere else to put the animal because if you have a collection somewhere else in the house and you're like, I'll just put it in there with them, you may lose your entire collection because you were too lazy to find a corner to put a tub in to hold whatever animal it was for three months. So, quarantine. Uh, yeah, that, that sucks, especially you you raise, you know, like I know that, you know, April and I have some animals that are, you know, they're special animals and, you know, you raise them for years and years and you get attached to them and, you know, then you bring in a new snake and you're like, oh, I'll just toss this in this tub in your room. And then before you know it, all your animals drop and, you know, there's years besides losing your animals and being upset about them dying when they didn't, you know, there's no reason for that. Then you just lost all that time and effort you put into it as well. And I'm sure like, that's yeah. I'm sure that's why I lost all my boas years ago. I'm sure something I brought in because I used to I used to be the one if someone had something they had to get rid of or wanted to get rid of it and they just wanted to give it to me. Yeah, I'll take whatever. And it all went into my snake room. I, I don't keep boas anymore just because uh, you know I turned my garage into my snake room and I mean I'm pretty laser focused on my my short tails anyway, but. I don't have any boas out there because, you know, a boa can just carry IBD forever and, yeah. you know, show no signs of it, but it could be out there in your snake room and then kill your pythons real quick. Yeah. And I would hate that. Like, you know, say I just picked up a nice, you know, whatever boa just to have, you know, and it's hard because, I mean, I love boas, especially the teapot stuff and the Suriname red tails and all that really cool shit. And I just, but I would not risk it of having a bow out there that seemed completely healthy. And then like my pythons just start dropping. I have one boa right now in my snake room. It's a rainbow boa. And I am so paranoid because I am on the same train of thought. Like I don't do boas. And and that's just like a a line that I draw because of that. And then my roommate had a boa (laughs) and I'm like, Oh God. All right. Well, we'll put it in the snake room. And mind you, she's, it's been a healthy snake for a very long time. But still, there's part of me that's just like, oh, my God, like, I have a boa in my collection. This is freaking me out. <laughs> I try not to think about it, though, honestly. <laughs> you'll, you'll be okay. Yeah. No, I'll be okay. I hope so. <laughs> um, our buddy Riley, kind of, this kind of relates back to, what we, to one of the first we talked about. He says uh, he's afraid that cowboy cops today are going to kick down his door and take them because they're different. Um, but that goes to the overreaching and the and the worrying about the – legalities and stuff that's that's definitely a concern nowadays just the world we live in is i'm not this year the world we live in is so fucked up um 
Dallas said thermostat failure or fire or breeding season cannibalism. Uh, you know, that, that does scare me. Like anybody that breeds like some of the Australian pythons, like my asses, I'd be fucking paranoid every time I put stuff together. Yeah. Or king snakes. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to keep, got to keep a good eye on them. I, you know, cause I've bred a lot of king snakes and, you know, I just made sure the females fed up really, really well. And, um, you know, the male too. And, but just make sure that female's really fed up. And a lot of times when I paired, uh, land for peltis, they, they were pretty close in size. Um, cause I know hog nose will eat, mm-hmm. you know, eat the male too. And I've seen that, especially with, uh, and I've really felt for some of these guys cause I know a dude that bred, uh, he had like a bunch of albino females and he had like a really nice one that had like a crazy food response. He had, he bought like an anaconda, had albino. And that was back when that was like a $2,000 snake or something. He put that male in with her and he ate it. Oh, and I, I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> I mean, besides the, you know, losing the animal is like, man, spending two grand on that snake. And then your female ex- eats it up. It's an expensive meal. Oh, uh, God, that would bother me so bad. <laughs> Um, looking down our wrist list, Robert Powers also said fire after what just happened because he was also at the show. So uh, I do want to give a shout out to Robert because I did just pick up a new snake rack from him. He started up yeah, his right. Lone Star Reptile Racks. I, I did finally get it set up last night. I have not put anything in it yet. I am probably going today to move my new litter of Samboas into it. They've all shed. So it's now time for them to get their own tubs. But it looks good. It looks like my other racks. I like it so far. It's great. It has no snakes in it, but I like it. So we'll see how that goes and I'll give more updates on that. But I wanted to give a shout out to Robert. He makes a really quality product so far. It looks really good. It's not, you know, I, there are people out there, I think that have the mentality of seeing a rack at a show going, I can build that. And then you realize they can't build it. This one looks good. Um, Dominique DeFalco said, I'm going to make a mistake. That's fatal. That's, that's, you know, always a concern that you do something that causes harm to your animals. Uh, She says, she says, like, using the wrong cleaner or feeding a bad prey item. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are things that we take for granted that uh, we don't think about that could end up killing our animals if we just do it wrong. Uh, so. Yeah, if you keep them long enough, man, you're going to have random stuff happen. I saw a dude that had a grain of corneo and fed her a rat, and, like, I don't know if, like, something – like the, the na- fingernail or whatever, like scratched the snake's throat or something. And she had some kind of oh. weird bacteria thing happen in her neck. Uh, do you remember that April? Yeah. When, like, I, I vaguely recall neck, this. Yeah. That neck got all swollen and she died in like a day or two. And all she did was eat a rat. I mean, it was a healthy snake that you could tell she ate the rat, like her bottom jaw got all swollen her neck got all swollen. And I mean, she was dead like in a day or two. Well, I've had not- friends who they fed their animal and there was, no physical difference in the animal, like no swelling, nothing like that. And it came up dead the next day or two. So it's like, makes you think like, what's going on? What was going on with that rat? You know, I've had animals just die. Like I had a male corn snake once just die. Walked in one day is fine. Walked in the next day dead. I hadn't fed it. it Nothing had changed. So, I mean, shit happens. I've had that happen to one of my Borneos. I just walked in there, pulled the tub open and she was dead. I was like, what the hell? I mean, then, for me, that puts me in this like cycle of questioning every single thing that I do, and I freak out. 
Oh yeah, I think, and you know what? I think if people really took time to admit it to themselves, it, it, well, honest with themselves, it's like I think all of us, when you have a snake catch a RI or mites pop up or something happens, like you feel like you start second guessing yourself, and you feel like you let your animals down, like you failed. When yeah. honestly, it just it happens sometimes. And that's when I just, you just have to dig deep and get through it and keep pressing on. Don't ever just like go into a hole and be like, oh my God, you know, this is never going to get any better. It's like, you just have to dig deep and, and push through it. You know, I mean, when I've had, you know, like one of my males, like I said, flare up, you know, and I've kept snakes for 30 years and I'm like, you know, one flares up an RI and I'm like, God, what do I got to do? You know, because my setup's all dialed in and everything else. And you just have to think, you know, stress. And... All right. Well, the snake got to be flared up, separate him from the collection, take him to the vet, and knock it out and keep pressing on. Yeah. You know, that's one thing though. Like if I had, if I had something flare up, which has happened twice with an RI or, or irritation, it's like I moved him out of the snake room. Then mm -hmm. went somewhere. I put him in my other room. Um, we used to have a room with lizards in it. Um, when my wife was like messing around with leopard geckos and beardies and stuff, but now there's like nothing in there. So that's, that's the quarantine room. Uh, the quarantine room was this room where I have my indoor set up for my leopard tortoise. Um, usually the leopards outside, but you know, obviously when it gets cold or rainy or whatever, I, you know, she's inside. So I used to just have quarantine back there with her, but now I got like this free room with nothing in it. So, and I have tons of racks. So I'll just go put them in there if, uh, and that's the quarantine room. Yep. My guest bedroom is quarantine. My, bed so, my bedroom is normally quarantine. <laughs> I'm going to be getting, um, caging of different sizes. Probably one that's on like a stand and have like maybe a four foot and then maybe two like little squares cubes. <laughs> so I couldn't think of the word cube. <laughs> But uh, have it set up and maybe do like a little baby rack in there too, possibly. That might be overdoing it, so maybe I won't. I don't know. I haven't fully decided yet, but. It won't be a bad but, idea when you start, if, if you do shows, April. That's true. You know, so, that way you, so that way you can put your, uh, you know, when you come back from the show, put them in your quarantine. Yeah, especially Jack, because I want to bring him out so people see the true coloring of a T-negative. in like oh, a full. Absolute. I, I'm a firm believer if you breed. You know, even if it's somewhat common snake, but if it's like a niche type snake, like Bloods or Morelia, even sand boas, like, mm -hmm. you know, even though some of these snakes are pretty common, they're not seen every day, not adults. Because, like, man, you take an adult short tail or adult jungle carpet or, you know, big adult female sand boa, something like that to a show and people get to see it. Not only does that, like, bring people in, but, like, it does help with sales if you're going to go with that, too. Especially with oh. Morelia, because when they come out, they just look like brown blah babies. Most I, would, I wouldn't have bought this corn snake if the, the guy that I bought it from had an adult for almost every corn snake he had for sale. And when I saw the adult uh, salmon ghost was this you know pink adult, I was like, oh, hell, I need this. You're like, I but, want that. And corn snakes change a lot, too, for oh, coloring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're getting a lot of color. Yep. We look at Okatees. Okatees are the best oh, yeah. corn snakes. Indian. That's the one that's missing of mine. Oh, oh. That sucks. I know. 
Oh, that sucks. Finding a baby Clubert is so hard. <laughs> I don't even try looking. I just wait for them to pop up, and they do or they don't. Most I had my very first corn snake was missing for six months and showed up in my neighbor's garage. So I have massive amount of hope and faith. Though all those I, flies showed up, so I don't know anymore. I sold my friend a, a pair of Dodoma outcrosses, and uh, the mail got out. That male sandboa was gone for ten months. I love and, uh, three. I just happened to be over there one day and he had like this small vision cage that didn't have the glass on it, that nothing was in there. It's like a water bowl and some like spare newspaper. And I saw something moving in there and I was like, Oh shit. I reached in and I grabbed it. It was that sandbow. And he was oh, totally okay. fine. <laughs> yeah. He was totally fine. Like he actually looked somewhat bigger. And I was like, here's your sandbow, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like a 30 gram, you know, male, whatever. And, uh, I'm glad he found it. Cause like, uh, that the Dome Outcross pair I said him were is black and orange and those are pretty. Those are my favorite. My favorite um, sandboas are the ones that are black and orange. I just, yeah. man, I love those. Yeah, there's a lot of really good live breeding stuff like the Dodomas, uh, the nuclear and all that stuff where people have really taken the time to get that orange to really be crisp. But it, like Warren Creature is a great example of somebody oh, that's man. focused and like. That dude's sandboa collection is just amazing. I mean, he literally literally wrote the book on it. I was going to say, didn't he write yeah. the book on it? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I read and that I, book. I have that book, and it's like, oh, my God. You know, and then Jeff Holloway, I don't know if he's still around, oh, yeah. but, you know, you know, what he calls us, the HPRs or something, or HRP. Yeah, Holloway Reduced Patterns. They look like dairy yeah. cows. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Scott, They're really cool. Uh, Scott Miller up in Illinois. Scott's great, uh, too. I have some yeah. from Scott. Those, yeah, are, those, are, those are all names of people that I would buy snakes from or have bought snakes from. <laughs> yeah, they're, and they're great. And see, again, they're like, just like, you know, our people, you know, you know, like Matt and, and Nick and Kara and all of us that do bloods. Then you have these ones in the sand boas and you have ones in the boas. And, you know, th- that's what I like. If, if you set your mind to your goals and you want to, you just absolutely love your species that you're into. And so you do breed and you start making stuff, you make looks. That's how people remember you and notice you is because like you do good business. You're, you know, uh, polite and courteous and do good by people. And then along with you, cause you're not just marketing your snakes, you're marketing yourself. Oh yeah. It's your name. Your because name is not the biggest thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're a fucking dick, you know, most people, I mean, you might have awesome snakes, but I mean, there's people I won't buy snakes from. Yep, me too. Because I hate their guts. That's why I try to like, <laughs> it, you know, because online, you know, with me being sarcastic or whatever, people haven't met me in person or got to know me. I don't realize like I do it all tongue in cheek. Like I'm just messing around. Like I've, like if people ask me questions, I I help them. Yeah. yeah, I try to help them as much as possible. It's just like on our blood page or whatever. I made a post a while back. I tried to tell people, it's like, look, if you go to the top of the page, it's this is it's just the stuff that's like getting beaten to death with attack here. The, the same shit over what, and over and over. What temperature should I keep my snake at? Well, okay, because you know, like Kara's been doing this for over two decades, and like you know, she's the the admin of the page, and like she has it set up beautifully. Okay, so just like any Facebook group, if you go to the top, it says search. I'm not even being sarcastic. I'm just being dead honest that I made a post about it. It's like you can type in T-Paws, T-Neg, Ivory, 
um, adults, temperature. You can type in all this shit, and it will bring up multiple posts. We'll, we'll take you right to that. Some posts have hundreds of pictures in them because it was a morph post or what have you. Then there's also a selection that's right underneath the group photo page where Kara has made files that you can click on. And literally, it'll take you to all kinds of stuff. There's one with, like, Matt Minatolo explaining certain genetics on, I, I guess, I don't remember if it was Ocelot or Superstripe. There's one with Keith talking about Ghost. Um, there's stuff that Nick's written. There's stuff that Kara's written. And they're all in files. All you have to do is, like, literally just look and click. And it's so easy. Mm-hmm. Well, I made a post about it, and I wasn't being a dick. I was just like, hey, guys, you know, a lot of you new guys that are coming in, I'm just trying to help you out because there's like, there's a ton of information that you could probably spend a couple hours reading instead of, because now there's so many new people that have come into our snakes as of late that like have kept them for just a very minimal amount of time, but they're the ones like commenting and offering advice and stuff. And sometimes it's right, but a lot of times it's, it's terrible. Like I've yeah. seen some where the guy's like, Oh no, that snake's not, uh, you know, wet enough or humid enough. Like what? I, I that snake looks like it lives in water. Like what do you? Yeah. Don't tell that person that. All and right. Like, there was someone that was fighting Zach about keeping his hatchlings on oh water, basically. I was yeah, like, I keep my hatchlings on water too. So Same. I know, I know, Matt Manitola does. I've seen him do it. Yeah. Like okay, and that's like one thing where like. Okay, for especially us, our hardcore, like the, the the core group of blood keepers, is probably like what April, like fifty of us, maybe. Probably. Um, okay, like there's certain posts, and you'd notice it, you know, with your sandbows or whatever. You can tell when someone comes in and they say something that they're so full of shit because they will say a comment that anybody's been keeping stuff for any amount of time and really knows that species. You will know immediately if they're full of shit. Oh yeah. Okay, because like when you have bloods, they will not shed for months. Months. Mm-hmm. And you need to for keep babies. Them. Babies, yeah, fresh babies will not shed for months. Three, four, five, six months. Yep. And you have to keep them wet. You don't want to keep them after they've had their first shed like that. But getting to that first shed, you need to keep them extremely well hydrated, and it's better to keep them wet. Yeah, because they're not very it's smart. Probably, they don't go hunt for a water bowl. That's not well, their first instinct. So they get well, dehydrated. Okay. It is ridiculous. No, they, they don't. And like this guy comments under Zach's picture about it. He's like, oh, I've kept, I don't know if he said bloods or what, for like 20 years or some shit like that. And he said, I keep them on newspaper. I have no problems with them shedding. It's like, you're so full of fucking shit, dude. <laughs> like it, that is like one of the most asinine comments I'd ever seen in my life. I was like, dude, just here uh, ended up erasing it. Good for him. Because I was like, dude, that is retarded. Mm-hmm. Like, your your baby bloods would look so freaking horrible if you kept them like that. Well, I was going to say, one thing you can do in Facebook groups, if you're trying to figure out the, the people to listen to our Facebook, because granted, not all of your breeders, for whatever species it may be, do Facebook. There are still some people that just don't do it. But find a group on blood pythons, sandbows, corn snakes, whatever, and whenever you see those posts of, like, who, who has the best whatevers, or who should I look for for the... Look, scroll through the comments, and if you see names that get repeated five, six, seven times, those are the people you should probably take serious. Like in the Sambo groups, if someone asks for a certain thing on Sambo's, you normally see Warren's name, or you'll see Scott's name, like, and they show up over and over again. 
the, the, the only unfortunate thing I've seen kind of with ours is, yes, you do see that, but some of our, our older breeders that produce like really awesome shit that aren't super active on things, like I will see their names not get tagged. Yeah. That's a damn shame mm-hmm. because like I will see certain people get tagged a lot just because they're very active on Facebook and everybody knows them. But, you know, like, you know, Kay isn't super active on Facebook, you know, she's a busy woman. She's got a lot of shit to do, but she's been doing this over two decades and has like, you know, I mean, she's written so much stuff out there and put so much in the community, but I'll see her get tagged like once or twice. But like Mm -hmm. someone may tag Matt Minatola. And then if someone goes and starts talking to him, I'm sure Matt would also give them other people like, well, yeah, well, Matt, Matt is like one of the beacons of what makes the blood community so well. Cause Matt is such a friendly outgoing guy and Matt will literally try to and help. And he's him. humble, which is really Matt, nice. Matt is humble. Matt could be, I mean, he could be the total opposite, you know, cause what, with what Matt has done and what he continues to do, I mean, he could be a super cocky guy or whatever. And that is not him. Dude is like super friendly, super helpful, uh, very humble. And, uh, you know, he's fun to be around. I've hung out with him at carpet fest and, uh, you know, Frank is just, he, Frank's the same way. Frank's awesome. Um, you know, Kaji, he's a good dude. Uh, I mean, pretty much any of the core people are really awesome. I can't think of one that's not really cool. I mean, besides April, but everybody else. <laughs> All right, so let me try and finish this this question that we've spent an hour on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, this podcast is just going to be this one uh, question this time. <laughs> uh, Justin Smith said, Hurricanes, which is one that, like, living in Louisiana, oh. I, I do have to worry about hurricanes. And he's in South Carolina. He has to worry about hurricanes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then all of Florida, obviously. Uh, NIDA, we talked about that. Crypto, fires. And then he said drug addiction. And I'm not 100% sure Whoa. where he was going with that one. Uh, but if, you're, that one? if your snakes are addicted to drugs, they need to see somebody. Yeah. Um, and, and then <laughs> Ryan. This line. <laughs> And then Ryan Rumbly and April Justine both said fire. So fire, yeah. So I didn't bust Dan's balls too bad because I just put <laughs> fire. <too. laughs> um, and then so got through that. I want to also hit on a couple of things because we do have the post make every week about different stories, different things people saw, and there were some cool ones. Um, so I want to go through that real quick. Stephen Livingston uh, posted an article about a new uh, diamond frog found in Madagascar. That's like the third or fourth article in like two weeks about new stuff out of Madagascar, which is kind mm-hmm. of promising because as much of Madagascar as they're tearing down, it's nice to see that they're still finding new animals. Hopefully they're finding them not because they're tearing the area down. Well. <laughs> yeah. um, Mike, uh, Matt Howe posted venomous cottonmouths engaged in vertical combat. If you've ever seen, a lot of times you'll see videos of like uh, Western Diamondbacks doing this. Uh, they stand up and the first one to pin the other one's head down wins. Uh, a lot of venomous snakes do that they, because, you know, people not knowing will sometimes go, well, why don't they just bite each other? But uh, if they bite each other, they die. So that's a pointless fight. The ones trying to push each other down. Yeah. So, I mean, evolution is because the ones that are dumb enough to bite each other and die, their genes don't get passed on. So the ones that do the fighting, that's really cool. So, like, if you ever get a chance to watch King Cobras will do it, that's a really cool one to watch fight. Uh, they just try to pin the heads down. And then uh, Jason Raup and Matt Howe kind of posted an article that was similar. It's been talking about the same thing, two different articles. Um, I like the, the title of the one for Jason Raup. It says, 
Diego the tortoise, famous for saving species with his high sex drive, starts his, and basically he's being retired. So now, uh, for decades now, this tortoise has had to fuck to save his species, and he's done his species right, which are the Espanola, which are the really cool, like, almost like saddlebacked Galapagos tortoises. The, like, the high shell behind their neck. Um, and now he finally is going to get released onto the island with 14 others. And now he gets to, to fuck whoever he wants to without being forced to, you know, uh-huh. do the uglies or the, or the fatties or whatever. Oh my God. Tell him you like piss off, piss off of that one. But so now he's free to, to fornicate, uh, on his own terms. Fornicate freely. Fornicate freely on his own terms. Well, they were leads those guys back on the same island they were originally caught yeah. too, I believe. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So now, now they go home to fornicate in their mm-hmm. homeland. Yeah, that's great. Um, so those were, those were pretty cool articles I saw this week uh, that got posted. Uh, but anything, I mean, that's like our second week in a row with stuff about sex. Oh, the last one was a porn star killing somebody with, oh, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. with, frog, with frog venom. That was a fun oh, article. Oh, man. Um, and then I did have a couple of videos I want to talk about that I saw this week. This week was busy. I was, this whole move and everything has had me all over the place. But... Uh, one that I just want to touch quickly on was Wiccan's Wicked Reptiles did one on reptile uh, cohabitation. Top five reptiles you can cohab. You know, cohab's that, that dirty word that everyone says you can never cohab anything in reptiles, which just mm. isn't true. Um, you can't cohab. There's a lot of things you shouldn't cohab, but there are some things. And the number, I think number one on this list was kind of the obvious one that we're finding out more and more that do better cohab, uh, which was garter snakes. Garter, garter snakes like to live with each other. Which is um, cool, and then we did that uh, article on the study that they are more yeah. social. Yeah, so. they they are a social. We we don't tend to think of snakes being so. We think of them as lone, you know living by themselves, and only coming together to breed. But garter snakes seek out other garter snakes, so that is a great one to have go have. He also had like green anoles, which is, I think I think that's an underplayed one, which would kind of be a cool pet if you had a big, especially with the way bioactive is nowadays, a big bioactive vivarium with green anoles in it. I go have my geckos. That was on. He had. I forget which gecko he had on there, but he did have a gecko species on there uh, for cohabbing. I just Yours- have to watch the female and make sure she gets size back on because I think the male tends to eat more than she does. And those are the uh, barking geckos or whatever. Yeah, and then my micro geckos also I keep together. Awesome. You know, yeah. Don't cohab two sixteen foot retics. I mean, yeah. Unless you unless you have <laughs> unless you have a giant room. And then you can also well, separate them when you feed them. You know, man, even some of the, like, the common stuff to cohab, like, people still need to pay attention to their animals because, oh, yeah. like, you know, a lot of times people will say, you know, you just toss, you know, uh, leopard gecko females together and whatever. Um, that was on his list. I And that and it does work. But, I mean, I've, when I had a lot of leopard geckos, every now and then I'd have a female that was just absolutely not about someone else living in their condo. Oh, yeah. you got to watch. Well, and he talked about uh, with the lover, he goes, he bought both of them from the same clutch at the same time and raised them up together, which is completely different than if someone goes out, has two separate adults, and then goes, all right, you two adults are going to live together now. That, that yeah. definitely caused an issue. Oh, and it does. I mean, and that, that definitely helps the way he did it, having yeah. them together from the get-go, because, uh, you know, I tried that here and there just to see what happened is, you know, I'd put a, you know, after quarantine or whatnot, I'd 
put a female in with another one to see if they'd be together, you know, cause they were like the same thing, like two eclipses or whatnot. And the one female that that was her tub, I put the other one in there and like, I had one just go right after, like as soon as I put her in the tub, she like went right after her. And I was like, yep, that's not going to work. <laughs> and then like in males, you, you does mention you cannot cohab male leprechaun geckos together. They, they're going to fight. <laughs> that's that's what they do. Same with barking geckos. Yeah, I don't care how big barking. of a cage you think, they will find each other and they will fight. Well, just about, I mean, I don't know if April's experienced it, but like, you know, short tails can be hard to sex. When I can be, they are. And, you know, I've gotten animals from people and then, you know, raised them up thinking one's a female and one's a male and put them together and they're both males. It's not talked about a lot, but like, Short-tailed males, you put them in the, not all of them, but you put them in the same tub or cage together, <laughs> they're going to beat each other up. Yeah. I, I haven't seen them, like, bite and do crazy, like, retake death roll, you know, stuff like that. But, like, I've put in, I put two Borneos together, and, like, they were bashing each other around all over the tub. And I was like, okay, that's two males. And I opened the tub, and the one male just came flying out. Just like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> So, I, I think cohabbing is cool on, like, definitely now that we're going towards more, people are going towards more of this bioactive, these larger enclosures. They're cooler for some of these smaller species like the geckos. Um, he also mentioned, like, those long-tailed grass lizards that you sometimes see. Those would be cool to have, like, a little a little thing. But, again, you got to pay attention. Watch them because you can you can, all, you can have a, a dick. You can have one asshole who just doesn't get along with anybody. Uh, yeah. But, you know. Yeah, and then if you leave in, like, you know, in the wild, like, if they fight or whatever, they're in the wild. So, like, one can crawl off and one can put her off. You have them in a cage, and you just toss them together and they go to work or leave them alone. You come back to a dead animal a lot yeah. of times because the missive one is just going to get beat to death. Yeah. Well, and that's one that he mentioned uh, that cohabbing was he mentioned tortoises. Uh, you can, yeah. you can cohab them. If done properly, I have four sulcatas living together. A couple of them are males, and yes, they're gonna fight. They're or at least mine don't really combat too much as much as the big guy just hops on top of the little guy and shows his dominance and makes the fun tortoise noises. Uh, right. But you gotta understand that it's definitely a concern. I mean, I worked at a zoo. We had several big adult males, and they're gonna fight. And with that takes a risk of uh, they could kill each other. But yeah. but they are species that can be cohab. And you can cohab some. Uh, it's one of the few ones where you can cohab different species of tortoises together if done properly. Now, with tortoises, it is always better to have females that you're going to cohab just because females don't tend to fight. But uh, it, it was on the list. And, and I cohab because I mean, it's four tortoises outside. I can't build four different tortoise yards. Uh well, and they're sulcatas. It's not like you got, you know, marginated or yeah. big tortoise or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have any big little guys walking around with, you know, 80 pound guys. Um, no, you have tanks out there. Yeah. And that was one thing I moved. So I just moved, like, moved to a new house. And the first couple of days was spent getting the backyard, building my tortoise yard, which is awesome. It's like 50 foot by 40 foot now. It's this massive tortoise yard. Um, but I have a chain link fence. I don't have a privacy fence yet, which I will get eventually. So all my neighbors saw me digging these post holes to put to put the post in to put the, their fence inside of my chain link fence because now they have you know they have their own fence and then the chain link fence to keep them in also. 
Um, and so they started asking questions. I was like, yeah, I've got tortoises. And then the day the tortoises came, every neighbor like ended up coming by to see them because you can see them just walking by now. Um, but so that's kind of cool. And then I had to build, I, I had a nice wooden tortoise barn in my old house that we had built and we went to move it and it just started coming apart. Like it, it was still very, very sturdy. Had we not tried to move it, it just was not really made to move. Um, and so I had to go into, uh, a quick, like think mode of like, what can I make, uh, for, for the new house? And so the new tortoise barn is not wood. It's kind of like the three little pigs. This one is now cinder block. I was, I was trying to think of what can I make? And I thought, you know, I could make it out of cinder block. So they no longer have a tortoise barn as much as they have a tortoise bunker. Uh, <laughs> we, we built, I think it's, oh, I don't want a lot, about eight foot by four foot, um, maybe a little smaller. And it's like four bricks tall and they're uh, glued together with, um, my brain doesn't work, but they're glued together. And what I'm also going to do is I've got a sand. I found a place where I can get a giant truckload of sand for $10, 10, $10, not like $10 per, $10 for an entire truckload. So I bought it. I'm going to fill the cinder blocks all with sand to also help insulate uh, for the winter. Cause I do put a heater in there. They do get locked in during the winter. Um, but yeah, this thing is not going anywhere. If a, if a hurricane comes or a tornado, I'm going to go live with my tortoises. <laughs> it is. By the way, I'm telling you right now, moving 72 cinder blocks is very tiring. Yeah. They, uh, they're not like... You get it the right way, though, man, because like, a lot of people just grab it. They'll get a big sulcata, throw it out there, and don't realize that that's a tank. Well, well, that's, well, that was the whole thing while we're doing this. <laughs> while we were trying to move the barn and do all this, I'm thinking, oh, get a sulcata. They're cute little baby. Like People need to see this, this part of it. When they're like, oh, look at this little $20 baby I got at an expo. All right, well, come see the 72 cinder blocks we had to move and, and you know, attach to each other and then fill with sand and, and it all. It was That's why I don't have one. And I, I, yeah. I love sulcatas, but, like, my leopard, you know, she doesn't, like, try to, like, push through the fence or anything like that. You know, she doesn't dig underneath shit. Um, you know, I just – and I've watched, like, tons of stuff because I love Camp Kennan. Yeah. Kennan Hart seems like an awesome dude. Yeah, his setup down there, and that's a great channel to watch on YouTube. He's oh, a great it, setup. it is. And, and, like, I just pay a lot of attention to him, and, like, he'll go talk to other sulcata breeders. Like, there's one dude in Arizona, and he's got those big... Oh, uh, man, his place is insane. Yeah, he's got the... Uh, God, I'm forgetting. The, the name's escaping me, but he's got, like, the, the, the sulcatas that get 300 pounds. Oh, they're not, yeah, and they dig these giant <laughs> burrows you can crawl into. Yeah, he's got the Sudanese ones. Yeah. But he was talking about, like, he's like, yeah, the, like, some of these go, like, a couple hundred yards, and they dug all the way up to the highway, and I'm like, what? Now, see, I have, found, I have found that originally I thought one of the key things to keep my tourists from digging was them not being able to see outside the fence. And I think that works for some, them not being able to see the other side. But then I started using cattle panels to expand their yard, and they could see through that, and they were fine. I think the key, the key to keeping them from wanting to dig, and what I have found, is a good place for them to go in and sleep. And that's what this bunker, that's what the old barn did. When they're done for the day, they go, and it's dark, it's their own space, and they don't feel the need to dig this giant burrow because they basically have one, and that's what the barn is. That makes a ton of sense because, like, that dude in particular, I mean, his animals are super healthy and great, but, like, 
he's in Arizona. He's got some random trees here and there, but yeah, they don't. Cause like my leopard tortoise, which he's outside. Um, you know, I have like two chairs behind my shed and I put like a tarp over it. So like when she's done, she goes underneath there or I have a couple lows, like five gallon buckets and she'll squeeze her like half of her. <laughs> Cause she's pretty big. I, mean, I can show you a picture later, but I mean, some some of those five. some of those subspecies of leopard tortoise get enormous. Yeah, I don't think she's a southern, but I mean she's pretty big. I mean she yeah. probably weighs twenty five pounds, give or take. Size of a basketball. She's seven years old. My big male's about eighty pounds, and and he's kind of a dick. Like, he just <laughs> he just he goes where he wants to, and usually where he wants to go is straight through you. <laughs> yeah. You get plowed I mean, over. I'm glad that people keep sulcatas and, and breeding them or whatever so they don't become lost because I know in the wild they eat them and stuff. So, I mean, I'm glad that they're – But they're not, so a, they're not a pet forever. Like, I, I really feel like people need to see what it takes to keep – you know, because like, they see these little $20 babies at an expo and go, oh, they're adorable. I'm like, dude, just go buy a Russian or a Herman's. or you know, Go buy one you can keep in a 40-gallon tank if you need to or a tortoise tank. Or, the, or they see a big one. Like at your house, like they'll see yours and say you didn't explain anything to them. Just say they saw that. Oh, they think it's great. And they're petting it and stuff. Because our friend Andy, you know, he has a male that's probably 75, 80 pounds. You know, he just wanders around. He's got a dog house that he goes and chills in. Because his doesn't dig either. He just kind of sleeps in this big, giant, big blue dog house. Yeah. And he just walks around, dude, dude, you know, doing his own thing. And, uh, and I can see how people think that's awesome. But, like, if they got that thing and they had to move in or do anything else and like see how you know if you don't have the fence secure or whatever how that tortoise is just gonna you know it's oh, not yeah. push well, right through it and they and they eat a ton so like the one thing about this new yard is it's 50 foot by 40 foot so it's all grass there's a lot of clover out there and so they should not in theory eat it down to the dirt but in a, in a small in a small enclosure they will eat it straight down to the dirt all the way and you'll have a dirt <laughs> patch and that is it you know, and so like people underestimate how much they eat, and then they truly underestimate how much and how big they shit. I mean, it, my, my tortoise is like my tegu, man. I I have a tortoise <laughs> and I have a lizard, and I'm good. I mean, I I haven't bought a single one of these tortoises. They've been given to me. The people couldn't keep them anymore, or they found them. I'm, I actually have a fifth one that I'm growing up inside, so it gets big enough so I can put it outside. Because right now I can walk right through cattle panels. Well, uh, one one trick, baby, almost done. <laughs> yeah. um, so I gotta go. But anyway, right. life is calling me because Ryan must Ryan's, leave. Ryan's gotta go. He's I do. I'm getting called. We held him over his two hour. <laughs> I know we really did. <laughs> it was a great conversation, though. It was. I so appreciate it, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, man. I enjoyed it. So, Ryan, if anybody needs to get a hold of you. If, What's the best way to do it? Oh, just um, uh, on Facebook. That's probably the best way. Okay. So if you want to get a hold of them, ask them, you know, what temperature you should keep your blood at or you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't oh, on Facebook. Man. And that is Ryan Rumbly, and you can find him on the short tail page for sure. Or just mm-hmm. send him a random friend's request. And be weird, because he'll be weird now. <laughs> <laughs>
best way? <laughs> uh, for me, you can find me at Designer Exotics on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. And then for me, you can find me at Simply Serpents on Facebook or Simply underscore Serpents on Instagram. Um, uh, I've got Sambos. Anybody want Sambos? I've got baby Sambos for sale. So I got nothing. <laughs> uh, I know April's still waiting on eggs to hatch. Um, yes, and, and if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, the Reptile Gumbo Podcast at gmail.com. Shoot us any questions. If you, any topics you want us to discuss, let us know. Again, we'll post every week where you can tell us what kind of stuff you saw that we should bring up on the podcast. Uh, next week's podcast won't be recorded until next Monday because I'll be out of town. So I apologize, but you will get one on Monday once we record. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That is it. Thanks. It was good. Bye. Bye.